So anyway, go go on. Start whenever you want to. I will. <laughs> and I won't interrupt you. Oh, I doubt that. Everybody, welcome to Sneaky Dragon. I'm Ian Boothby, and I'm David Dedrick. And this episode is I don't know it's something something up there. Let's say f- I'm going to make up a number five oh eight. Let's say that's a real number. You didn't make it up. Okay, that's true. I, actually, I it, it was two numbers on a letter technically five oh eight. Oh, okay. I didn't say five zero eight. I said five oh eight. Okay. So there you go. A common way to say it is a common way, and yet it's uh, inaccurate. <laughs> I don't like it myself. What would you say five hundred eight? I, usually I say 508, yeah. 508. I do oh, very that. military. I, like I know. <laughs> people have often said Roger that. Me. People have often commented on how military I am. Yeah. You'll say, like, yeah. I'm meeting you at, uh, you know, 1,300 hours. I do say like, that. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, I like that. And then you yell, go Joe. Because <laughs> I love snake eyes so much. Yeah. As we established last yeah. episode. You open your car with your kung fu grip and you take yep. off. <laughs> yeah. Do you still have snake eyes fever from... Uh, <laughs> this episode. Really excited? No, but I watched a I watched a uh, why it wasn't very good video. Oh, okay. Uh, from someone, they had some good. They made some good points. Was there anything that we uh, missed out on? Well, one thing I liked about that he said was was talking about agency, which is something I do think about a lot in a character, and something we didn't bring up, which is that you know from the beginning of the movie on, he never makes any choices for himself. People always make choices for him, and all the way to all the way through the movie, I don't. I think until the, the beginning of the Maybe at the third act when he lets the guy go. Right. But up to that point, he's like, he joins the Yakuza. Yeah. He, whatever his name, Vega, or Vince Vega? Is that his name? I don't know. Where Vince Vaughn. You're thinking of Vince, Vince Vaughn. I think Vince Vaughn. Where Vince Vaughn and Jules are going. You like the conversation they're having. You enjoy their talk, their walk and talk. While You're eavesdropping along with them. Yeah. And that's, that's, that makes those characters fun and interesting, you know? And they make choices that you don't expect when Jules decides to quit in the coffee shop and... You know, and renounce his life as a as a criminal and a thug, and and walk another path. That's an interesting choice because it's not something you saw coming, and it's 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 interesting, right? Whereas in Snake Eyes, the character is this cipher that has no personality, that's constantly being led through the story, and even when he makes choices, they don't really make any sense, right? You know, and so you're just kind of and every everyone in the story is driven by the story rather than you know being agents and of, to get the MacGuffin. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, it feels like... Which okay. this guy also pointed out could easily just be a gun. Mm. Like that thing could just be a gun or a grenade launcher with a gun. Like it's not doing anything different. Well, I mean, if you're shooting a grenade at someone who's like a few feet away from you, you're going to die too. No, but... So I, that's probably well, not the I best. I mean, there's a scene where he like blows up a building in the distance. Yeah. So that could be a grenade launcher, but the rest of it could just be it a gun. It could be a superpower laser gun. When you yeah. bring a gun into a into a movie that's all about sword fighting, then... You right, know, you and it's a, uh, it's a kind of a magic stone too. So we've got magic in this. What, if, what were you just saying that just kind of uh, made me made me think uh, a character that has no agency at all and is just taken from place to place and and uh, is like, well, Snake Eyes is a toy. He's a toy. So like, <laughs> yeah. as a uh, he was he was driven through the story like a child was picking mm-hmm. him up and just going. And now we're going here, and now we're going to do this, and then and then now what do we do? I don't know. I got these snakes in my toy chest. Uh, the snakes and him fight. What? Why is he fighting with snakes? I don't know. He's fighting with some snakes. 
and then I got these other toys, and they'll come along, mm. and he does three tests. Are they related? No, they're unrelated, because it's just three random things that a kid thinks of. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he's yeah. just being dragged through a kid's backyard <laughs> fantasy. The whole thing in the final scene, you just see it's just kids playing in the backyard with the snake eyes toy and it's like i got the upgraded version with the new outfit mm -hmm. okay then there you go well that's another point he made it was that this movie is, is made for kids but kids don't go to movies anymore like it kids that's not a, that's not what kids are into they want to watch tiktok they want 30 second snippets of of stuff and that's that's what's interest them yeah and are, so are, are th by the way are 3d movies gone now are they gone yeah are they gone forever i don't not forever but like now like with covid and stuff like the idea of putting glasses on your face yeah i think and that's then throwing a big bin of of uh glasses in a thing yeah so this is the one good thing about covid is it's got rid of 3d, <laughs> 3D glasses. glasses are gone yeah okay all right just just, just I, don't know, I don't have to wear glasses with my glasses right which is always awkward uh but i just thought that was an interesting point as well that it yeah it is the, the, they geared this movie to kids mm -hmm. but kids aren't going to see this movie but will kids see this movie when it's on streaming, like, in a few seconds? Because it feels like they, they do the quick turnaround. Like, yeah. the Shang-Chi film, this is their... Well, this was this was the controversy recently. Was one of the uh, big executives at Marvel said that this was an experiment. And the, exper and, and, and the, and the leads uh, thought it meant, like, uh, using Asian actors as an experiment. And we'll see how this goes. And so, kind of responded to that. Uh, but, but what they say they were saying and kind of makes more sense of what they were saying yeah. was, you know, the experiment is we're going to put this on streaming in 45 days after it, uh, after it shows. Okay. After the launch. And you never do that fast to turn around, you know, on, on that kind of thing. They did with Black Widow. I mean, Black Widow. Well, they did the same day, yeah. but that's a different situation than now they're in we're going back to, <laughs> that's right. Now we're going back to yeah. Aaron, put it in theaters and then, you know, normally it would be like months and then it would, then it would, then it would show. Yeah. So it's, it runs through the whole course. Well, I guess they're going to have to change how they, how movies book then. And that, I mean, if that's what they want to do, that's fine. But what they have to do then is shorten how long they are, they require themselves to, to be shown in movies. So if you, if you get a Disney film, for instance, mm -hmm. they expect you to, to, to run it for six weeks in their theater, in your theater. You can't just book it, and if it's a failure, dump it in a week. You are you are locked in for six weeks. Well, it sounds like we're talking six weeks. If it's 45 yeah. days, yeah. that's basically six weeks. What I, what I suspect, aside from, yeah, they are just trying to figure out how to make the most money possible, mm -hmm. is Marvel films are a little and bit... And get subscribers to Disney+. Plus. True. Um, but I think it's because Marvel films, unlike almost any other films, uh, are a continuing story. And, and they've got other films coming up. Like, it goes Shang-Chi, then it goes Eternals, then I think it's uh, Spider-Man at Christmas. So probably things, even if they're not directly leading into, they are leading into mm -hmm. the next thing. And when you get more into whatever the next films are, doing this quick turnaround makes it make more sense because... You know, even if you have not seen the movie in theaters, you could still watch on streaming and they go, oh, I get it. This is why there's a multiverse. I, I got it. Now I'm going to see this. Otherwise, you could just throw up your hands and go, I, there's a, who's, yeah. what's happening? Is that the Scarlet Witch? I didn't watch the TV series. I don't, who knows? Yeah. What's going on? That's, what's, what's that's basically Lisa. Do I need to watch Spider-Man to, to watch a Doctor Strange movie to watch this Eternals thing? Yeah. I don't, uh, what, okay, forget it.
Yeah, that's Lisa for sure. Like she finds those, she finds Marvel movies very frustrating to watch and not enjoyable because mm-hmm. she feels because she doesn't watch them all, and she just feels like while she's watching it, she's like, I don't, I don't know who these people are. And why did everyone turn to Ash at the end? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, we, I didn't even go there because that movie it requires so much knowledge of everything that's come before it. You know, like you know, I'm, I feel like like the Spider-Man films, like the first one, Homecoming, is pretty. Ca- you know, pretty much itself. Like sure. it does have Iron Man in it and he shows up and there's a few characters she didn't know who they were and she just finds that frustrating just to have movie characters show up. And there's not a lot of explanation because no. they assume that you're just following along. Because it'd be weird to do that to just go, Yeah. Iron Man. Yeah. No, you're an inventor and philanthropist, <laughs> but are a bit of a rogue. And yeah, yeah. that's one of the founding members of the Avengers. Who, of course, we know had uh, the big fight in New York City. And then, of course, you created Ultron. And, uh, yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? By the it? way, let me say this about sure, any sure. time that uh, you're in a movie where uh, Tony Stark is scolding Spider-Man. Mm. You want Spider-Man to just go, how'd Ultron work out? <laughs> how was that? <laughs> you're the guy who made Ultron, don't, right? Don't bring up Ultron. Yeah, exactly. Don't just don't go there. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I was just thinking about, when you were talking about that, I was just thinking of Dark Shadows, which... It, one of the things, like, the guy who writes, though, Dark Shadows every every week says, like, you can tell how often they expected you to watch a soap opera by how often they recap during mm-hmm. the week. And so, you know, it's just interesting now. We, we've gone past that point now where there's, like, an expectation of, well, we better make sure the audience is stick, keeping up with this. Let's have some, a little background before we go into why this is happening now. But I don't... I doubt when we go to see uh, Love and Thunder, the, is that what it's called, the new Thor? Sure, yeah. I doubt when we see that, there'll be much recap of what happened before. They're not going to, you know, have like a five-second montage of the first four films. Three films? First three films. Yeah. And then and then Was there start any the in the last Thor film, Ragnarok? There wasn't. It just kind of starts, right? It starts with him like talking to us and just going, I'm the God of Thunder and I'm a, kind of a big I deal. guess that... There's a little tiny I bit guess of that. that does, I guess there is that. And then it has him go back to Valhalla and it does recap a little bit by having the play happening. Yeah. So there is some clever uh, expo- you know, exposition there that does kind of establish things. But I, I still feel... I think like Lisa wants... You know, to watch a movie and it just be itself, you know, like not not have stuff that's imported. Because even if she, even if, like, if I'm watching the movie and I'm thinking, oh, this is fine. Like, everything's clear. Like, this is all good. To her, it's just like, well, I don't know who anyone is. So, like, where, what's going on? Like, you know. To be fair, I had that with The Green Knight because I didn't realize it was supposed to be a King Arthur story. Because I didn't want to, like, look up anything about yeah, it. Yeah, I just yeah. went cold. And mm-hmm. there's no point where... Like, there are... There there's are, hints around, it's, like, yeah. just like... But it's like, very it's it's very yeah. uh, embedded in, in, in the movie. Yeah. yeah, but no one directly goes, this sword is this, <laughs> and I'm this, and da-da-da-da, yeah. and she's that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't say their names. You know, because you know, right? No! So I guess I could see that being frustrating. <laughs> sure, You know, by sure. the end of it, just like, you know, that was uh, King Arthur. No, that would have been a thing. <laughs> well, they had a round table. No, they didn't. They had a horseshoe table. Well, that's not a round table. <sighs> fine, whatever. It's fine. There was some good stuff in it. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I just yeah, it's it's a curious it's a curious thing. But I mean, that's modern movies for you. Yeah. 
Like, what are you going to do? They basically made the... Well, here's the thing. Sometimes when you have an adaptation of a book, people are like, you know, just, just make it its own thing. Mm-hmm. And then at other times people are like, make it as much like the book and the experience of reading the book. Like, not just make it... Because here's the thing. You don't want to make it like the book because the book is already the book. But you want to make it like the experience of, of reading the book. So you want those same kind of like reveals and delights mm-hmm. of what you mm-hmm. get. And I think the Marvel movies have have recreated what the comics were like in that... You never really totally know everything. You know, when I started reading Marvel comics, like, who's that? I don't know who this is. What's that character's name? I don't know. I guess I'll figure it out as we go along. Yeah. I kind of get the idea here, you know, but who's Thor? Well, what's what's his up? It doesn't matter. Moving on. Yeah, yeah. You know, you'll get it. You get the emotional thrust of the film, right? Yeah. This character wants this. This character's the bad guy. Here's some jokes. You get the jokes anyway. Yeah, it's it's really up to you, though, how much you want to invest. That's in, right. In it, really. You can either skim the surface, mm-hmm. or you can, you know, do a deep dive and just go, mm-hmm, or just, or, or not, not penetrate, not get past your resistance to it. You know what I mean? Like, sure. You're just kind of like, nah, I don't get, I don't get it. It's just a lot of noise. It feels like so. Toss. Yeah. Do you read Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Well, have you read The Hobbit? Oh, do I have to read The Hobbit? I don't know. Okay, I, guess I don't think you really have to read The Hobbit to enjoy Lord of the Rings. There's a nope. there's a pretty good, pretty good explanation of what's going on in it. What you have to do is like just hold your nose for seventy pages until like until it gets going, because it feels like there's a lot of blah until you get to that point, and then so you're like, oh, now it's starting. I get it. Not for these descriptions of the damn Shire and the stupid party and all this stuff. Who cares what they're eating at the you know? It just goes on. Yeah, I saw the uh, I saw the the film uh, Reminiscence because uh, look, I just want to say, yeah, I've read Lord of the Rings three times. I okay. love the book. Yeah, I had the map on my wall when Not I was a ring a ding ding. I'm just saying, both the both the Hobbit and and Lord of the Rings take a little bit of you got to be patient. Mm-hmm. Got to you know invest a little bit of time, and then it'll pay off. All right. I didn't when I first tried to read the Hobbit in grade six. I didn't want it didn't want to invest the time. I was like, this is boring. Throw. Okay, let me ask you this. Like, uh, we'll get to the movie I saw yeah, in a yeah. bit. Uh, when you saw Lord of the Rings, the um, the the film series, did Peter it Jackson. evoke the same feelings as the book? Um, I th- not quite. I think I think it failed the beginning to get to give you a sense of what a disaster it was for them when they started. Like, you, it's too linear. I know, I know that they had to leave out Tom Bombadil and everything, but there's other things that happen. They, they, there's that part in the. It's been a while since I read it because I read it mm-hmm. before the Fellowship of the Ring came out. That was the last time I reread the stories. But um, there's a scene where they, one of them, falls into like a barrow whites. Like it, they're like walking through this thing and they're like uh, some kind of ghostly creature, some sort of monstrous thing, and they like stumble on that. And they miss, you know. There's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of early disasters of because they're they're not travelers. They never done it before. They never left the Shire. They don't know what they're doing. So it's just like a bunch of like mistakes and and bad travel plans. And you know they forgot to rent the car. You know and you know all the stuff like that, right? Forgot did to, you get your shots? Did you no, phone? I didn't. What, what shots do I? <laughs> did you get you to get the visa for your passport? I need a visa for your passport. Yeah, you're going to France. You gotta get a visa. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, it's kind of it's just sort of funny. Like whereas the movie, it's it just wants to get past that stuff and get onto the other part, which I don't blame it. Yeah, because the movie's me, a different situation. But at the same time, it doesn't quite get the sense of like what these these guys had no idea what they're doing. Because that's kind of the point of the movie, right? Is that these guys started with like no experience in life, you know, other than just 
living in this very safe place and living these very safe, comfortable lives. And then they, you know, by choice, remove themselves from that and put themselves into this outside world that's much more dangerous and difficult and complicated. And But you don't get that sense. It's, you know, you do get the danger because obviously the Nazgul are after them. But you you don't have like the sense of just like their absolute utter uselessness in every in every aspect of this journey, which I think I think is important uh, to the, to the theme of the to one of the themes anyway. Um, but in other ways, it was very it was very good. Um, I think maybe I think the books are still much richer than. But I think he got as close as you can get. There was someone just put out a video talking about the Ralph Bakshi version of Lord of the Rings, okay. which I saw as a kid in theaters or on TV. I saw it on, on in theaters because for some reason I was like into Ralph Bakshi when I was a kid. Now, did he do the Hobbit as well? No, that was done. It's a weird thing because because of some weird copyright thing in the '60s, Lord of the Rings fell out of copyright in the 1960s in America, mm-hmm. only in America. So anyone could publish Lord of the Rings. No one, hardly anyone did because it wasn't a very popular book and no one knew how to market it. But like the company that had the original, this is, I learned this in watching this video, so it's kind of interesting. So the company that had the original publishing rights published a total of 1,500 copies of Fellowship of the Ring, which sold out, but that was it. That's all they would make. So they would bring in dribs and drabs from England. Mm. And because they were doing this, uh, it caused this sort of uh, thing to happen where... Uh, I guess the American government created some sort of, co- you know, additional copyright law, which stated that it had to be published in America, or otherwise it would affect the copyright. And so this happened to a few different books at the time. They fell out of copyright, including Lord of the Rings. So anyone up until the mid '80s, mid '90s, sometime around there, they they could publish their own version of Lord of the Rings. Mm. They could do their own version on television. So, it's, for instance, uh, Rankin Bass. They did the Hobbit because the Hobbit had fallen out of was out of copyright, and so they could just do it. No one could stop them from doing it, and so they made their own version of the Hobbit, which I actually think is a pretty good. Uh, but I mean, it's been a while since I watched it. To be fair, I think grade six or something. So what do I know? But it's uh, maybe a little older. But anyway, that it, was the Bakshi version, mostly motion capture. Uh, yeah, it was mostly uh, just because it, it was done oh, very sorry, rotoscope. It sorry, was mostly sorry, rotoscope yeah, because they did like like a two hour movie in two years. Mm-hmm. Like they did an incredible turnaround, yeah. and he was producing another film at the same time. He would was working on this movie called Hey Good Looking, or Hey Good Looking, which was supposed to be like a rotoscope, a combination not rotoscope. It was supposed to be a combination live action combined with with the animation. What he did later with Cool World, right. he tried to do in the mid seventies. When did he? Sorry, I'm I'm throwing a lot of questions in here. Sure. Did he do a film? I'm trying. Uh, I'm 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 maybe misremembering did he do uh, like a, a rock and roll movie as well like a whole bunch of yeah american pop. pop i think it's called american pop right and that was that, that was came after rot- lord of the rings was that rotoscope he continued uh, on with the rotoscope uh, concert footage that, yeah yeah like okay. almost all of it's rotoscoped yeah so that was like in his bag then was the rotoscope yeah yeah but when he did lord of the rings there's times where he just takes the footage that they film for rotoscoping and they just paint over it mm. because it was just quicker to do that because they were just running out of they're running out of time, and and um, and then there were some problems. Like the the problem with the Ralph Bakshi one is that the company that was producing it, United Artists, wouldn't commit to doing two movies, and so they tried to cram as much as they could. But they eventually they they were running out of time, and so they just have like an arbitrary end to the film. Uh, basically, ends at the at the battle of the the two towers battle. Oh, okay. 
that had you know where Gandalf rides in on, on Shadowfax and right. with a sword Gandalf and the white shows up. Yes, that's right, and has the big sword and all, all this stuff happens. And and there's narration that makes it sound like that's the end of the story. Yeah, because they kind of wanted to. But at the same time, it also kind of sounds like we could continue this too. But it there was no there was no interest in doing that because I guess the film the film did okay, it got, it was critically okay, and did okay in the, at the box office. But uh, I guess. Well, here's my Gandalf joke. Oh sure. Okay, I'll be Gandalf. You be, okay. and you'll be like, "Hey, didn't you fall off that uh, that uh, the area or whatever? You know, what do you? What Mine's you fall? Moria. Yeah. Yeah, you can say that. Like, yeah, did yeah. you fall to your death? Hey, the... didn't the Balrog uh, cause make you fall to your death in the Mines of Moria? Yes, but I'm all white now. <laughs> but you have a you have a speech impediment now. No, I'm just all white. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, well, that's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> So and then we both turn to the audience and bow. How <laughs> deeply. To, no, no, there's no applause. There's, no applause. there's, there's not even a golf. No, there's not even contemptuous booing. <laughs> just, just, a, just a uh, yeah. There's there's some people who've just taken out their earbuds and just thrown them on the ground. <laughs> um. So yeah. Are, are those earbuds broken? Yeah, but they're still all white. <laughs> that's the color of the earbuds. There you go. There you go. Yeah, so apparently he was like trying to um, produce like Lord of the Rings from the late '60s on. He was like con- trying to get that made into a film, and like all the films that he made. <laughs> so it's just interesting. Like the guy had like kind of like a a chronology of the films and just showing how they all overlapped each other. Like he'd be in production for one while still making the other one, and then you know like the Hey Good Looking because it was so complicated. It basically kind of crashed on itself because it it was just too advanced for the time period. They couldn't make the the uh, make it work having live action animation interacting the way that they wanted it to and so that didn't work out and so but that was also being was well was being worked on while he was working on other films one i i can't say the name of um because it's a terrible name for a movie i don't even know why would anyone would name a movie that but anyway um it's not like it's not like a bad movie it's an interesting film it's basically like contemporary retellings of the uncle remus stories uh, in like a you know like in a modern brooklyn of the time like mid, but, uh, but a, a bad choice for that's a, a terrible name okay why good. even think about it very good but uh because you know like heavy traffic is an interesting film like there are interesting films that he was doing mm-hmm. at that time politically and you know culturally and stuff like that there's some he has some it, like little ticks that are kind of you're just kind of like thanks thanks for the boobs yeah. thanks for the boobs Ralph. <laughs> That's well, the that's thing. the thing about Cool World is like, you know, how, how can this uh, cartoon character, what what does she need to uh, become a fully realized uh, person? Mm-hmm. Well, she needs to have sex with a guy. Oh. Uh, she needs the right guy to have sex with her. And then now she's a, she's all right. Mm. That's all she needs. That's, a, that's all about actualization. There you go. That's all she needs. <laughs> and she's fine. Right? Am I right, ladies? Uh. Am I? I'm not? Okay. I'm apparently... Well, not even contemptuous booing. <laughs> Interesting. Got a walkout. Okay, fair enough. Oh, he's left. Yeah, so, yeah, he, did, he was producing all those films while trying to get this Lord of the Rings going. And then and then working on Hey Good Looking simultaneously with doing Lord of the Rings. And then Lord of the Rings kind of took over because Hey Good Looking kind of crashed. And then he continued working Lord of the Rings, but he just had this really narrow window, like basically two years to do it in. Wow. Which is... For a full length, insanely insane. Yeah, for a full length movie, that's that's from that's from script to end to movie. Yeah. That's not even like scripts weren't even done yet. Yeah. There was a script written by 
Who was it written by? It was written by someone well-known. I can't remember who it was now. Oh, uh, John Boorman. Okay. Who did Excalibur, speaking of oh, King okay. Arthur. Uh, a crazy, crazy director. I mean, this is, uh, I guess, I don't know when he did it. Anyway, it's just, it's <laughs> bonkers. It's ridiculous. It's just crazy. It's it's terrible, actually. <laughs> and seriously, it has some choices that are just insane. I wish I could remember what they were now. But it's it's just awful. And so then, um, so then... Oh, I just looked up what the name was. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you What are you doing? I know. What are you, What are you doing? Okay. <laughs> I, you know, I think it grows out of uh, one of that that time period. There was like a weird a comfort in using those terms ironically that yeah. we don't we don't have now. Yeah. And also that he grew up uh, in Brooklyn in a mixed sure in a mixed race area, and so he had a lot of comfort with. Yeah. With black people and, did, you know, felt perfectly fine, like, you know, using them and, and not, I don't mean using them in a, in a, in a exploitative way, but, you know, making use of their, their idiom, their, their patois yeah, and stuff shock. like that. Yeah. Yeah. You're trying to shock. Yeah. And so that's going to get your attention. You're coming out of, you know, yeah, the mid seventies, it's a shocking era. You gotta, but, you gotta get some attention. But, uh, it's, you know, yeah, he's known for Fritz the cat. <laughs> you're going to, what's your shocking thing next? Yeah. Oh, oh, I tell you. <laughs> Well, Heavy Traffic came out before before um, that movie, but yeah, it's really is kind of shocking. Ah, oh. <laughs> what it is. <sighs> but it is. It's not a bad movie, and I what for whatever reason I was into Ralph Bakshi at that time period. Like I didn't see that movie. That movie did not play around here. But I saw Heavy Traffic. But believe it or not, I don't okay. know. I must have saw it on television. And I remember going to see Lord of the Rings because I was you know a Lord of the Rings head. Then I went and saw American Pop as well, which I thought was okay. So, so Heavy Traffic was partially live action. So. No, it, it's entirely animated. Is it? It was Hey Good Looking was meant to be uh, partially, but n- none of those films are. Okay. Uh, he makes what he what he uses in those films is uh, live backgrounds quite often. Okay. And so, yeah, he's he was very. Well, it's, okay, here's the description I got for Heavy Traffic. Okay, Heavy Traffic's 1973 uh, American live action. Uh, adult animated comedy drama film. Film begins, ends, and occasionally combines with live action, which is weird because you just said it was live action. Occasionally combines with live action, explores uh, surreal fantasies of a young New Yorker. Yeah, this, the characters aren't uh, live action, but there is like backgrounds that are okay. utilized in that way. Yeah, I, I, may, uh, maybe there's like, well, maybe thinking about it, maybe there are some, some like inserts with real people, but I don't remember that. What's interesting in the film is that he he taped conversations like that people had, mm-hmm. like just went around and just taped conversations of people, and then incorporated them into the film as background dialogue and stuff like that. Which he did with Fritz the Cat, and did and Heavy Traffic as well. Just just like tape people talking in restaurants and stuff like that, and then just use those as background. So you get these kind of very realistic dialogue, and because they are That's real dialogue, yeah. It's a, so uh, so Heavy Traffic also got an X rating. Yeah, it's full of uh, violence and sex, like incredible violence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, you know, he came out of, uh, came out of. I think he worked for Terry Tunes uh, before he before he started his own company and then did stuff like Rocket Robin Hood and Spider Man and things. And then he later went back to Mighty Mouse, of course. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I think that's where like John Chris Felusa got his yeah. got a start through that. I remember reading about when it came out at the time. People were kind of excited about it because it it was there was a lot of talk of it kind of returning to the earlier values of of. Of cartoons, uh, limited, of course, to 
what standards and practices will allow now versus what was okay to do in the 40s and stuff. But yeah, so he, he kind of came out of this very uh, slapsticky, you know, kind of slapstick world of animation. And he incorporated that also into his movie. So there's full of, but then he had to like, you know, 100% it. So it's just like, it can't just be like guys getting conked in the head. It has to be get conked in the head with blood going everywhere and all mm-hmm. the rest of it, you know. And very like comedy police violence on people all the time. Like it's not enough just to have like the police being violent. It has to be like this slapstick, you know, bat- rubbery people being bleeding everywhere. And But at the same time, he's making a point about police violence. You're like, okay, good good stuff, I guess. I mean, he's, I, you know, his politics seem right on, but to, to a certain degree. But stuck in the time as well, of course, yes. you know. No, he's an interesting person. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say his movies are always successful. I don't. I think he's got some problems in his. He's not a great. He's not the world's greatest animator, and he's uh, his sense of story can sometimes leave him behind sometimes. But uh, he's more into like vignettes. I think he's better at like doing like kind of sketches, like kind of comedy sketches, sort of tied together. Like like both Fritz the Cat and Heavy Traffic are mostly like vignettes. They don't really tie together into a whole, and that's what gives it the dreamlike feeling, I guess. And when he tried to do it with American pop, it's still vignette because it's kind of looking at American rock music through through several generations, you know. And what did you think of that? Uh, I've only seen it, I only, I, mean, I saw it when I was a, uh, whatever, how old I was when it came out. It came out like 82 or something like that, I guess. Okay. I don't I can't remember now. I was asking because you had it open or I thought you had it. Uh, no, I, I'm, 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 um, I've got it open to the next thing. Mm, it's fine. <laughs> and I... Uh, I just thought it, I, I thought it was okay. I preferred Lord of the Rings to it. I just thought, I just didn't think it hung together as an interesting movie, and and I feel like the main protagonist is uh, kind of unpleasant. So it kind of mm. it's hard to it's hard to make a movie work when you don't really like the main guy. But anyway, it was it was an interesting um, sort of documentary about about the making of uh, Lord of the Rings. And I always wanted to see a thing, and if they do like you know another Into the Spider Verse where you. Have all the different versions of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I like to see the Bakshi version of Spider-Man. You know, and there's a problem, and all the other versions of Spider-Man go for the problem, and the the Bakshi version just never gets there because <laughs> it's all do, traveling. Do 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 in the cartoon, traveled across New York in real time. Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. Listen, it's quite a few blocks away. <laughs> dum, we got to show this. That was great. And also him sneaking was like the greatest animation in the world. His exaggerated sneak was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I remember they showed them on Teletoon. This is a long time ago when the girls were quite young. And we got Teletoon because the girls, you know, wanted to watch uh, kids shows so but in the in the evening they were playing spider-man okay and i was like oh nostalgic joy let's sit down and watch these great cartoons <sighs> so boring yeah. so boring how did i stand it as a kid i, I, I just think, needed I the, I remember, needed like, a rest Magneto was in one but he was just a guy he was just an old guy yeah but that was the thing like, they're all old spider-man's yeah spider-man's deal Used to be, he would beat up old men. Well, it's more like, like, I'm the vulture! I'm made of... It was teens versus adults. So, you know, in those days... And adults were old. And adults were old. But if you watch movies from that time, the adults are old. Sure, sure, sure. There's hardly any movies you see where, like, there's young people doing stuff. It's always, like, old guys. Yeah. Like, whose idea was this? (laughs) Were there teenagers who were like, yeah, let's go see... Some gray-haired old man, like in a movie. This sounds great. Yeah, I did a, a very odd thing with uh, Dean Hagland 
a friend of mine, one of the lone gunman guys, he, he, he just was obsessed with the fact that uh, Dr. Octopus looked like Roy Orbison. Okay. So we did a show once, and I was like two of the arms, yeah. where it was like Dr. Octopus singing Roy Orbison songs. And I had to it. like memorize like a couple yeah. of chords that were <laughs> you just sing these Robinson songs. And so every time I see yeah. Doctor Octopus in the comics, I'm just like, you know, yeah, it's, it's true. It's, it's Spider. It's a young person beating up Roy Orbison, you know. Sad. And they never have a thing in there about like, you know, Doctor Octopus can really take a punch. No, why? He's just got arms attached to. Them. He's, he's still a doctor. He's he's still he, well. He's a doctor. That's true. He can he can heal heal thyself, but like. You know, a, a guy who can lift a car, punching you in the jaw, yeah. done. <laughs> that's the end of it. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah, you got the arms, but that's it. <laughs> yeah, and the vulture, it's an old man with wings. Mm. One punch, boom, that's the end of that story. Done. We're, we're done. Uh, even it's, Green Goblin. It's weird, it's, isn't it's, it? It's your friend's dad in a mask. He's got to be in his like late 50s, <laughs> probably early 60s. Yeah. You yeah. know? He's a millionaire. He doesn't probably doesn't yeah. even work this, out. This is for the age of physical fitness. Yeah. People are going to the gym or going on their Peloton and stuff. They're yeah, just... he's throwing bombs. I give you that. But like, <laughs> he's got no strength. Yeah. How? <laughs> Done. Every one of these villains. It, what's, it's, you know, like, I can understand, like, the idea of, like, youth versus the establishment. But these guys aren't the establishment either. <laughs> they're, they're bank robbers and criminals. Like, it's just so weird. Yeah, this is always a strange thing, too, like, with any, almost any Batman villain. Yeah. It's like, you see Batman, and he's working out always. And he's the greatest martial arts expert in the world. Yeah. And then he puts on the armor, and he's got the greatest armor, and it shoots things. He's got a belt full of weapons. And then there's the Riddler. And they have a fight! That fight should go on for zero time, negative time. But it's like, yeah. pow, 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 pow. Yeah. It's just like, or even the Joker. This is just like a little skinny clown. He's not, he's got like a squirty flower. Yeah. And a yeah. buzzer on his palm. But aside from that, the Joker's never in Arkham pumping iron. He's never working out. He doesn't even do yoga. Like, he's just a guy. But aren't they drawing that in modern times as like much more muscular and how? What's he do? You ever see the Joker do a push up? I don't know. I'm Batman's thinking of how they're constantly drawn. working out. Oh, I know. Trained but... around the world with ninjas. Sure. Yeah, but no, that's just uh, you know, here's a fight with him and the Penguin are fighting. Penguin doesn't work out at all, and yet you know those fights go on for a while. Yeah. Batman's just a shitty fighter. It just depends. It doesn't depend what version of Batman you're. you're... Or has he always okay. been working out? Adam West is in a fight with Burgess Meredith. <laughs> Who wins that fight? And how long does that fight take? Well, Bur- Burgess Meredith is a pretty sneaky guy. Well, he's a good coach for a boxer. <laughs> like, I know that much. That's right. Hey, he's there you go. Batman, you're a bum. You're a bum. <laughs> bum he's, man. He's just putting his hands with little pads on it up to Batman to punch while he's... Yeah. I want you to do the speed bag after this. Yeah, that's a good... Well, I mean, that's... Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> they're, they're all old. I'm just, well, I was just kind of curious because you said he's trained around the world with ninjas. And I'm like, is, is that like the Christopher Nolan Batman, though? That's, or is that? Uh, well, look. Is that every Batman? Well, it depends. All right. Give me, a, give me a decade and I'll tell you. 1970s. Yeah. He's sure. training oh, with ninjas? 100% 1970s because oh, okay. everyone's into Kung Fu. Oh, yeah. He went around yeah, and got yeah, Kung yeah, Fu yeah. training. Yeah. <laughs> sure. that's, where you're, that's where you're getting your Raz al Ghul mysterious east mm, yeah, okay yeah, okay sure, sure he's absolutely kung fu so that's guy. kind of where that that 
Trains Part of with his Richard background. Dragon, uh, who's a kung fu master. Yeah, little, absolutely. Little spot on that name. Oh, related wrong. to Daryl Dragon, the captain in Captain and Tennille? Uh No, just related to Double Dragon, the video game. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, that makes more sense than to be related to a person. Right. <laughs> By the way, Double Dragon, the sequel to that game, not being called Triple Dragon. Boo. If it was a sequel, should Double it be, Dragon Two. Should it be Quadruple Dragon? Oh, well, yeah, you could do that, Quadruple Dragon. But okay. is quadruple? That's too hard to say. Tri- triple Dragon. But Double Dragon has the pleasing double Ds. It makes my name so mellifluous. Double Dragon with the pleasing double Ds. <laughs> sure. All right, you're going to talk about a movie you saw. I'm now trying to think if there's been oh. a Double Dragon. There must have been a Double Dragon. There's no way there wasn't. I'm, go- I'm, just, I'm not even going to look it up. There was. Okay. 100% there was. What Did it have a, did it have a colon? Was it Double Dragon colon? Oh, no, I got to look it up. Uh, there had to have been. And I want... Like, I want to say... Yeah. Uh, it had uh, Johnny Splits in it. Uh, Who's Johnny Splits? You know, Johnny Splits. Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, okay. I don't know his name. Let's see. Is that your nickname for him? Or is that well, like a generally splits. accepted... That's his thing. That's okay. his whole thing. Is a thing. Uh, no, it was Scott Wolf and Mark... Uh, uh, Deca... Decascos. I can't Decahedron? Say. Yeah, Decahedron. It's fine. Uh, in 1994, martial arts movie, Double Dragon, based on the video mm. game. Okay, very good. All right. Um, what I was going to say was... I saw... I'm, I'm trying to give you right now the Snake Eyes Warning. Snake Eyes Warning. Because, as you said last week, yeah. you know, you didn't warn me enough. And I, I felt that way. I, you mentioned the movie. I said, oh, what do you think of it? And you went, yeah, it was fine. And it, and it is. No, it's not. It's, it's, fine. it's, not, it's, it's not fine. It's, it's boring. It's a boring move movie. Along. Okay, it's boring. It's yeah. boring. I was, right. It's funny. I was talking with Mary about it. And she goes, it was funny because she went to the bathroom during it. And she said, I came back and you and Eve were both slumped over in your... And your chair is looking so sad. And I they said, just want details of how was the bathroom. What was, it <laughs> right. like? what was the bathroom like? How much soap was there? How many people were in the bathroom with Was you? it clean? Did it look like it was about to be clean? <laughs> Tell us more about the outside world. <laughs> Take us with you. Um, now, here's the thing. Uh, so, Reminiscence. It's one of these where... Reminiscence. This is a movie with Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. And, like, it looks like it's a Christopher Nolan movie. Like, if you look at a trailer. But it looks like a Christopher Nolan movie. But in the same way that, like... When a Transformers movie comes out, then the Transmogrifiers comes out as well, direct to video. It's the knockoff, (laughs) right? And there's like one star. Like, I don't mean it's like it gets one star. It probably would get one star. But it'd be like one person you recognize, like, oh, there's Michael Ironside. Yeah. Uh, Okay, very good. I got it. Um, So when Memento came out, Mormento came out about the Mormon who couldn't remember the past. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So, look, this, I'll just tell you exactly what this movie is without spoiling the movie for you. Uh, it's, uh, it's like someone took, uh, you know, uh, how does a film noir go? Okay. And it was like, how to write your own film noir yeah. for, for dummies. Let's or do Blade Runner, except. It's, it's, it's Blade Runner. It's, uh, it's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's, it's everything, you know, okay. you, it's like you take your, you take your, here's the structure of a, of a noir. Now, what do we do with that structure? Now we're going to put your gimmick on top of that structure. We're going to build around it. And the gimmick is. Person's got a device that can look into your memory. Okay, so it's what they do, but it, but it's so to the structure of film noir that it completely takes you out of it. And that you know, again, the guy is like narrating off the top. Like I said, <laughs> I went with my sister-in-law, yeah. and I said, if there's a quote off the top, I'm out. Like if there's some <laughs> quote right off the top, yeah. like memory or the past, you know, the, the only future of memory in the past is to, whatever it was. Yeah, quote by da da. 
Done out because so it'll so never you, be good. So you left. There's no there's no movie that starts with a quote that's good. Yeah, that's what I general in general. Yeah, you know and and she and she went. It's going to start with narration. Yeah, and it's going to be corny. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> and and it's and it did and it started and it was all the corny twists yeah, yeah. that you would get. Yeah, and like oh no, and he's walking down the street. Oh no, and then he sees a card. Oh no, and he picks up the card and the card is like the Queen of Hearts. And then he delivers it to a guy doing three-card Monty. And the guy's like, you want to play? Not this time. And then goes into his office. And a, and a dame walks in. And it's, oh, no! And you're just like, <laughs> you know everything that's going to happen. Yeah. But you're thinking maybe the gimmick will uh, be interesting. And there's like one or two interesting twists on the gimmick. Mm. But sweet Lord am I. You're still giving it the snake eyes warning. Oh, it's so boring. <laughs> and, and the problem is, the only person that you recognize for the most part is... Uh, it's Hugh Jackman. And Hugh Jackman is in a tank for a lot of it. Mm. And when you see him in a tank, you go, Wolverine. He's in a tank. Wolverine. Wolverine's in a tank. He's in what movie is in a tank? In the X-Men. Where like Wolverine is like getting all his uh, powers in the, in the tank. And then he comes out of the tank and goes, Rawr! He's like floating in the oh, tank. Oh, this is Origins, like right? Two, well, no, there's two different kinds. Oh, okay. This is the weird bit. Is like they have him in, in X-Men 2, I believe. Having flashbacks of him in the tank when, oh, okay. you're, when you're seeing it. Okay. But it's weird because in X-Men Origins, they recreate it, but with way lower budget to the point where it looks like, you know, when you would see Logan's run and then you would see the TV version of Logan's run. Yeah. And you're like, it's, yo, it's kind of Logan's run. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it was like with Wolverine Origins was just like, I guess that's a tank. I suppose this could be a government facility. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now let's take that down even more notches. And we got Hugh Jackman in this tank, where I guess you're supposed to be going, oh, guy's still in shape. Good for him. He's in good shape. Because for some reason, you really got to strip down to get in this tank. You got to get to, sure. you, you just got to strip down until you're sexy to get in the, into oh, the tank. Oh, wow. And only sexy people, luckily, go into the tank. There's That's no, very... <laughs> no uggos in the tank. No schlubs. And then the second mistake yeah. is that, uh, you know, they give him the sh- the shirt that I think you earlier were saying, you know, used to have a different name, but is now called a white undershirt. And that's a real Wolverine thing as well. He's always in that stupid undershirt as Wolverine. It's like, you can't wear that anymore. Okay. Wear a t-shirt. Yeah. Wear a black version of that. You yeah. can't do that. And it's like, he looks good in it. Yeah. But he's Wolverine. You can't be in a tank. Come out, put on that shirt, and not have knives come out of your hands. <laughs> and now so we're dealing he, with memory stuff. That's Wolverine! He's been typecast forever as Wolverine. Yeah. So anyway, he goes through it, and you know the whole damn movie. And there's like one or two like really beautiful scenes that you go like, oh, that's great. But you saw him in the trailer, so you're fine. The end. You got it. <laughs> you know how a film noir goes. You know, with the... Like, it, it, the, the, the film fatale... Uh, sings a song in a dress that looks exactly like Jessica Rabbit's. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, here... Okay, let me just interrupt you then. Just to say... I just want to say this. Which is... Uh, I know who the femme fatale in the film is. She's uh, one of my favorite actresses because I think she's so beautiful. Okay. Rebecca Ferguson. All right. Very good. And... Uh, but I got to tell you... Yes. Other than being in the Mission Impossible films, mm-hmm. it seems like every movie she's in is garbage. I don't know what I don't know who's moved. Ch- oh, she just did, yeah, she just did like the Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman. Okay, I did not see that movie. I have not seen a lot of the films that she's in. I really dislike her in the Mission Impossible films. Right, uh, but didn't she was like Doctor Sleep, eh? Ugh. I think we talked about it. On we the did. Splendor. It's not great. She's she's fine in the film. I thought yeah. she did a good job in the movie, uh, and I thought there's some good parts to the film. But... And she's going to be in Dune. 
I'm hoping. Well, I'm hoping Dune will be great because it's yeah. a Denis Villeneuve film. Villeneuve film. Oh, but I, so one of the reasons she was in the the Snowman, uh, the white and the white uh, queen or some such. Um, and she was also in. Uh, no, she wasn't in that. Sorry, she. No, she's been in other 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 films that are good, but because she was in um, the ki- the kid who would be king, I think it was called Mission Impossible Fallout, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Uh, let's see, Florence Foster Jenkins, That's Girl fine. on the Train. I've never seen it. Uh, uh, Drowning Ghost. Sounds great. She was in a Swedish soap opera called Nida Tider. She is Swedish, so. No, well, I hope so. Otherwise, that'd be very, very <laughs> odd. Very awkward. But what, what I was trying to, I was, what made me think of this was for some reason earlier on we were talking about Tennessee Williams characters. Yeah. And uh, and I always think of this one character from like there was a Clone Wars film. There was an animated film. There was yeah. like in theaters. And they had uh, and I went to see it because I don't know, I had some time. And <laughs> there was a uh, there was a hut. Okay. You know, like was a Jabba a... the Hut hut. Okay, okay. I was going to say Jabba type stuff. And he had a southern accent was just talking like this. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like that's a hut. And it was just such a weird thing. Just uh, hello, boy. Good to see y'all here. And I'm like, oh, he's one of these. He's, he's a big daddy. He's a big. Yeah, he's a big daddy. Yeah. Tessie Williams' brutalized character just yeah. wandered in. Yeah. So while I'm watching this movie, reminiscence, I'm like, well, it's a film noir. Yeah. Who's your? And I always think like hut. Who's your southern hut that's going to show up? I don't think of Burl Ives anymore. I just think of this guy. And then yeah. they do have a guy like that that does show up. Oh, it is so. And he's one of these guys who's there, and he's got yeah. a whole tank full of eels. And, you know, uh, you, oh, you, you want to sell me something, I hear. Hey, you're a friend of a friend. Oh, well, yeah. I don't know. Oh, a tank full of eels. That sounds dangerous. Yeah, it'd be a shame if someone stuck their head in that tank full of eels. <laughs> Be shame if that was me later on when you come to get more information and find me well, no, in my we, tank. We of don't. Eels. We don't exactly do that. That's that's a bit too clever. Don't don't clever it up. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's pretty much. Whoops. It's it's so. Uh, listen, connect the dots are less by the numbers than this fucking thing. Like it's just book de go de deep boop Okay, here's the character, and do you think they will betray? Yes, they will, because that's who they do. There was a woman, she showed up. Do you think she was in love with you the whole time? Of course she was, but she couldn't say. Now we're getting to the... Yeah, you know how film noir ends. <laughs> Except they try to put a little bit of a happy ending on it. Mm. A little bit of that. And, and it's like, don't... That doesn't work. That doesn't work for your thing. It doesn't work. If you're doing film noir, you can't have a happy ending. Right. It doesn't work that way. And, and... You feel like the film cheated you if it does right. that. And I will say this, you would think like after you've seen what they do in the Marvel movies with aging makeup, like it used to be you would have like a, an, an a, like, oh boy, you, I'm just thinking like any, any movie where, you know, you got to age the person up and just, hey, look at me. It's just, just forget it. Sometimes it's good, but often. Yeah. What's that? Sometimes it's good. It depends on the makeup artist. But it used to be a nightmare. And now, yeah. and then something happened. And I think like with Marvel, where they actually started doing it well, they were able to pull it off. And it was like, oh, they can do it now. Like you see, you see Captain America at the end of Endgame, you're like, yeah, that's all right. I'm not, I'm not taken out of this. But oh boy, in this one, it's just like, well, <laughs> it's Halloween. Who do you want to go as? I don't know, an old Hugh Jackman? I don't know, let's try doing that. Okay, there you go. There you go. Of course. You know, uh, he's got the uh, the shirt off and everything, so he's like, he's still completely jacked, oh. jacked up like nobody's business. It's like, ah, just lose some muscle tone, get some man boobs. Yeah, yeah. Like just age. Yeah, age. 
Show, also, act, no matter how long age, that he... guy spends in a tank, he does not prune. Like, prune it up, pruny. Yeah. Prune. Prune for me. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's very avoidable, this movie. That's what I'm saying. But, you know, uh, this is how you write your own movie. Is you uh, See that? You know, take the structure and just put your gimmick on top of it. It was re- directed and written by the same person, Lisa Joy, and she works on Westworld, which is another uh, tank-heavy movie. So it's like, <laughs> we know, we, we like Hugh Jackman in a tank. Yeah. We have a nice person who has worked on a tv series where they use tanks very well okay it's very tank based uh movie <laughs> a lot of tanks and i say tanks for nothing for this film <laughs> you, and you can take you can quote me on that you can peter travers that well, quote on your poster well, well thank you roger dude and i'm gene siskel it's i don't know what movie you saw <laughs> and then we're, doing, we're doing that roger Ebert thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was just watching them disagreeing over uh, Full Metal Jacket for some, some. I was watching a Full Metal Jacket related video, and uh, yeah. Anyway, did they, did they not like one of them? Not like Full Roger Metal? Ebert did not like Full Metal Jacket, oh, and Gene wow. Siskel did like Full Metal Jacket. I just remember the, the biggest argument I saw was well, not even the biggest argument, but like one that was like woo was over Kids in the Hall brain candy. Oh yeah, and uh, and uh, Gene liked it, and Roger, I believe, hated it. Yeah, his sometimes he was kind of weird in his yeah. his judgments. He hated Blue Velvet as well. He felt it was offensive to Isabella Rossellini. Yeah. He's like, she chose to be in the movie. It wasn't like she had her arm broken to be in there. Yeah, like, that was, was odd. <laughs> strange. Trying to defend the actor who has no problem with the yeah. thing. Like, you deserve better, baby. You deserve better. You should oh. be in a movie like mine, like Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Really? That's going to be... Is that the movie where the woman gets the shotgun in the mouth and has her head blown off? Yes. Well... Roger. Yeah, I mean, nothing against a Russ Meyer movie, but like you seem very supportive of Russ Meyer movies and <laughs> yeah. don't seem to have any issues with. Yeah, and I don't know. Those are, I mean, you could say the same thing again. Those women chose to be in those movies. Do you but... think the problem was? Yeah. Now you know what you're now finding a link here that I'm getting. And it's like okay, so Roger Ebert doesn't like when Isabella Rossellini is disrespected. Yes. Gotcha. Dave Foley, when he looks like a woman, mm. looks almost exactly like Isabella Rossellini. It's Isabella so Rossellini. Wa- he, he may be watching this movie just going, what, this guy's making fun of Isabella Rossellini. Yeah. And what? he says it with an Italian accent, what's going on? I'm <laughs> uh, Roger Ebert. Hey. Uh, She's the one spicy meatball. Oh, hey. Look hey. At what did he think of To Die For? Did, you know, let's look up the review for that. Did, did you, you ever get see, disrespected it, in that movie? Was it on, I think it was on Letterman. But it could have been on Conan. It might have been on Conan. But it was one where both of them were on the same show. Have you ever seen that one? Where what, what, what? Isabella Rossellini and Dave Foley were on the same oh, no, show. Oh, no. And then they just had a date. And, and people say, you know, some people say you look alike. And you're like, well, we don't look at all alike. Yeah, but they say you do. Uh, well, you know, I think it is Conan. Uh, I, I don't see it. I guess you could maybe a little bit around it. Wait a second. And then they just swarm them with makeup artists and like swarm Dave Foley and just do them up instantly. Okay. And there's this pull away and it's like, yep, exactly. <laughs> Bang on, both of you, your sisters. Huh. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And Dave Foley uh, currently still looks like a very nice looking lady when he uh, dresses when he, as When a he lady. Gets, gets suited up. You've been seeing some backstage pictures from their yeah. upcoming. Uh, uh, their upcoming, which is looking like they're just going all in on this. And it looks like they're having a lot of fun. Cool. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, okay. I want to say a couple things. One, please. One is that. We, we have like a two and a half hour show to fill. So please do, do we have, say a couple you know, things. We can stop whenever we want. We don't have anything to fill. But anyway, okay. Um, I think we have a responsibility. 
There's there's people that yeah. are like you know we're, going we're, on a drive. Yeah, and they're like, look, I just need yeah, I need two and a half hours of bullshit, that's and what, I need to go to sleep at the end. Yeah, so please read a lot of letters. That's why people. That's why people go. Like, I'm gonna listen to the Sneaky Dragon because that show is the epitome of responsible. <laughs> uh, no, I was thinking about um, noir, like the narration thing i just was reading a book mary recommended to me a book that's kind of a combination fantasy um it's a mashup of fantasy with fantasy horror with um hard hard boiled detective and so you get the story of this guy who's a wizard but he's like a private detective wizard okay and he narrates a story in a a kind of hard-boiled style and I, i did enjoy the story but i found it the story is called stormfront by the by this author named jim butcher and I, but I found the the narration kind of I just it 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 doesn't sit well with me, which is weird because I love Raymond Chandler and I love Dashiell Hammett, who were kind of the originators of the hard boiled detective telling you the story, first sure. person telling you the story, and I just I'm gonna have to I guess I have to go back and reread them and figure out why they work. For me, and you know, and it's not just that they're the first ones to do it because I don't know. Like I've, it's I've seen this done lots of times before I ever read them. I saw the the imitators of them, but I feel like they really know how to do it, and no one else does. And I don't know what it is that makes theirs sing off the page, and other people's kind of sit there, sort of dead, and get in the way of the story. Because I would have enjoyed this story more if it was just told to me in as. With a omniscient narrator, or maybe, or maybe just a whatever they call it when the main character is the only, the limited, yeah, uh, omniscient narrator, or whatever. Like I'd rather have that than have the person tell me the story. And I don't, I don't know why. Maybe, maybe an author who's not particularly funny shouldn't do it hmm. because uh, it's not doesn't really work. You know, you need someone who has something like. Uh, at least a good sense of ironic or cynical, whatever. Like there's something about the way that Hammett did it, and then Chandler, who obviously yeah, there was is following a, there's his a path. thing about bringing you into a world and and giving you their take. It it's it's a tough one because you do it wrong, mm. and the protagonist, you know, you've taken away all the mystery. Yeah, like the problem with like the Hugh Jackman one is like I know what he's thinking at all times. Yeah, yeah, and like well, you don't want that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. It, you wouldn't want like Indiana Jones. Oh, that was a weird thing to, to bring up. But like, you wouldn't want like Indiana Jones to be going, yeah. So I felt nervous because of this. It's like no, yeah, yeah. you're like looking at him, just going, is Indiana Jones like, especially for the beginning, like, is yeah. he a good guy or a bad guy? Yeah, He's kind yeah. of a grave robber. Mm. Now there's these <laughs> girls that are flirting with him in class. Yeah, what's his deal? All right, how's he feel about her? Is he just using her, or is it? No, no. He's a, and then by the end, you kind of get it. But yeah, that, yeah, and that's yeah. just a real basic thing. But, but like, you're, you're right. And the other thing when you're reading. It, Reading it like, especially this story where the character is like narrating all the action scenes for you. Like, there's one thing about like Hammett, and, and there is a bit of action, but it's very, very rare. They're, they don't really have like shootouts too often and stuff like that. It's like it happens occasionally in the Continental Op stories, but in the in the Chandler story, it's very rare that there's any kind of action. It's mostly like just going, talking to people, driving over there, meeting some sort of sleazeball and talking to that person and going around. And you just get this kind of sense of LA through the, through the eyes of, of, of Marlowe. And it just feels like in in this story, like this guy's in the middle of this huge, you know, wizardly battle and he's telling you about it. And you're like, aren't you out of breath? Like, like when are you telling me the story? Or is this like you talking to me from like, 
like for, you know the future and you're remembering this happening or are you telling me right now because it feels like you're just doing a lot of work and also narrating a story which feels like too much too much you're just doing too much no wonder you're not doing very well here drop one do you just do the narration or fight your fight like you can't yeah, do are both are you telling this story from the future where you survived it and you're <laughs> relaying the whole thing yeah with the perspective of someone who has been through it all yeah or are we hearing this at the exact same time you are yeah uh, getting it that is a weird there's a lot too it's just too much like if you say yeah. I ran up the stairs I was exhausted I I burst through the door but you know and stuff like that you're like whoa how are you telling me this because you are you're out of breath you yeah. just ran up some stairs because you're a wizard and the elevator won't work for you so you have to run up the stairs you yeah. ran seven flights she walked into the room uh, here comes trouble yeah like are you thinking she's trouble <laughs> or you know she's trouble yeah because we've because yeah. you've been through all this yeah. what's the situation yeah. it's like when you watch any um reality tv show and they have the confession cam like even if it's something like a chopped episode where just like you know well my biscuits were burning i had to make a decision i don't know okay are you saying this afterwards <laughs> yeah, like yeah. knowing that you lost because yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what what when did you make this mm-hmm. what, did you just step to the side what what's going on it's, uh, i know this is an illusion and it's taking me out of it yeah i've got two narrators here what's happening no that's it's that's it's an interesting point and i think in the continental op stories by by dashiell hammett he it's his reports that you're basically reading like he's telling you the case okay you know so that, it's after the and that makes sense it's kind of like so i know you didn't die yeah it's kind of like having like it would work better like it works great with uh dr watson telling you sherlock mm. holmes stories yes because he's there but he's he's we know he's relating something from the from the comfort of his armchair he's writing the story out and so he has a perspective and it all makes sense whereas i just feel like i feel like in the like in this story, like the author wants to withhold information, you know, but also, you know, the, the character knows stuff, but he's not telling us, you know, so he's, you know, I just, I just, I just, it doesn't work for me in that, in that way. I don't know. I have to, I'm, I guess I'll have to go back and reread some. If you were writing a story, well, I, I mean, I know you've uh, been attempting to write a novel. <laughs> yeah. Um, w- attempting what, the word. What's that? I said attempting's the word. Anyway. Yeah, it's fine. That's everyone. Everyone's attempting um, <laughs> until it's done, and then even then, you're like, I don't know if that was enough. Can I just tell you one of my favorite uh, gags, gag like one panel gags of all time, which is sure. two beatnik guys at a party, and one says, "I'm writing a novel," and the other says, "Me neither." But anyway, <laughs> go on. <laughs> Sorry, that just reminds me of like the, a gag I saw a million times with like yeah. hippies, which is just like there's an artist, and it's just like it's a. It's a painting, and the painting is just of like drapes of hair. And then you see the artist, and they got drapes of hair in front of their face. And he goes like, "I paint what I see, man." And it's like, like because they're hippies, they don't know. Yeah. Dumb. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but yours is better. <laughs> so, with yours, would you take the uh, the 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 narrator, the um, omniscient narrator, the what, what what would you do for well here here's here time time to confess because that book which I got really unhappy with was written in as a first person nar- narrator so the the character is telling you the story and the problem with that is that I didn't want him to be the main character but you make that person your protagonist by making him narrate the story in the first person mm. you know so it starts to it starts to fall apart you know like unless unless you really you know obviously Conan Doyle is a better writer than I am. And so he was able to like. Yeah, but to be fair, he's dead. I've so got one thing over him. Are. I've got one thing you, you over him. You got that going on for you. It's like you, you know are currently he, alive and can write now. 
But also, to be fair, you've been I have, able to read I have Conan, evidence. Uh, Conan Doyle's work. Yeah, that's true. Ah, so he didn't. He wasn't able to do that. That's true because he was busy writing. <laughs> so did, did a masterful job. David did a masterful job, and he was able to to because he chose such an interesting character to write about. Like he made Sherlock Holmes a fascinating character, and so you know, you he automatically becomes the center center stage. Whereas I made the mistake of making my character who's not that interesting. But he's telling you the story, the center of the story, and I just, I realized as I was writing it that this was not working for me. So I, I need to like go back to the beginning and change that to make it just told with him as the, just him as one one character amongst many. The uh, I feel bad like doing the thing where it's just like, hey, that gave me an idea, <laughs> but uh, that did give me an idea, which was you're talking about Sherlock Holmes. You mm-hmm. have a Sherlock Holmes story, and it's told from you know, of course. Uh, Watson's Dr. Watson uh, doctor he didn't go to doctoring school to be called Mr. Watson um, <laughs> well, yeah you know and then he it helped invent the telephone so good for him um, yeah Mr. Watson is is the his uncle who helped invent the telephone that's right Mr. Yeah. Watson come here I need you what is it I invented the telephone <laughs> yeah I know you were working on the telephone no but I invented it yeah I, I assumed you would yeah oh okay well I thought it'd be a bigger deal hmm. yeah it's not it's good <laughs> Okay, were you doing other stuff? Yeah, I was just reading some Wait, Sherlock he just didn't, stories. He called him on the phone to say, I need you. He didn't just... Okay, so when, so when Watson... Yeah. Okay, here's my question about sure. that. So, uh, so, so uh, Watson's on the other phone. When he picks up the phone, yeah. what does he say? Does he... Does hoy, he hoy, go, hoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hoy, hoy. I was like, figure that out later. Like, would he go like, hello? Or would he go, No, he wouldn't say hello. because Watson that here? Or... Yes. Huh? He probably just said yes. Or maybe he just picked up the phone and then... Listened. Yeah, I guess so. And then... You wouldn't know what to do. What do you do? Yeah. Graham Bell said, Watson, I need you. And he said, finally. And he put the phone... He came running in. He was undressing himself. Came yeah. in and he's like, could you take this to the store and uh, return it for me? I oh. I got too many of these. And he's like, oh, damn it. Otherwise, the first call would have been a booty call. Which would, have been really <laughs> it would have been nice. Yeah. No, what I was thinking was... So you you have the story written from Doctor Watson's point of view, of course you do, and just like he's, yeah. of course, describing like the murder and investigating it and doing mm-hmm. all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But then if you had if you if you as a, as an exercise wrote it from Sherlock Holmes's point of view, sure, and all he would be concerned with is the minute details, so many minute details, <laughs> and then the broad strokes be would be of no interest to him whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. So it would just be about cologne and types of wood, <laughs> and it would just be all this detail, and it would just never get to the point. Oh, is there a story where is there a story where what that Holmes tries to write his own? version and it is kind of like that i feel i feels like it would make sense it feels like in one of the stories something like that happens but once again you know i read read my i read sherlock holmes when i was a, a teenager which i feel like is the best time to read those sort of stories but yeah no I, I mean that that is that would be interesting like it would be kind of fun to have like you know just just to have a sample of it in in the story you know like so you have watson's telling the whole story then sherlock holmes as usual being upset because he never likes watson's descriptions of the stories because he feel like watson leaves out the interesting things because watson's telling you what's interesting to us as human beings but not what's interesting to us as a particular holmesian person mm-hmm. and so it'd be interesting to get holmes's version of, of the story just like that so full of you know particular detail that it's yeah uninteresting and boring because what he's interested in is not what we're interested in. But then you also then can go into into periods where because Holmes does get bored and like dangerously bored yeah. at times. Yeah. So it's just like and then go into that and just like what would we like someone who's bored with the story <laughs> writing the story and it's just incredibly dull. Well, but, but he's it's bored it's, because there's no story. That's when he's bored though. 
Right. He's but, bored because there's no case. Mm-hmm. But yeah. he still has to, he still writes about that. Mm-hmm. So he's writing about the, the minutiae <laughs> of life and sure, how sure. dull it is. And then when, yeah, something happens, then it's all just the details that you would think would not matter whatsoever. And yeah, again, all types of wood and uh, the bee that flew into the room <laughs> and, you know, where it's from. And just like and it lands on the, on, on the uh, you know, a decapitated victim. But then the bee, of course, that we know has the honey of just, wait, what was the deal with the decapitated victim? Well, of course, his neck was severed with this knife of da da Now, the interesting thing about this knife is... <laughs> well, actually, the interesting thing about the movies, I'm just thinking about the Guy Ritchie films. The interesting thing about those movies is they're told from Sherlock Holmes' point of view. They're not told from Watson's point of view. Mm-hmm. Watson is a minor character in, yeah, in, that's those, true. in those stories. It's ba- it, Sherlock Holmes is the main character, but it's told with an omniscient narrator because it's a movie. Like, it doesn't have a, you know, thank God. It, but it does have his thoughts sometimes. Well, like when he's fighting and he plans out his line of attack or whatever, you get his thoughts. You know, so it is from his point of view. From You see the, you see the world from his, his perspective. As much as I like those movies, what bugged me in the first movie was the plan of attack never goes wrong. There's never any X factor that enters into it that alters it. And then, like, what do you do? How do you adjust? And it's like, nope. But I feel like that's good because of the second film, where you do get that when, mm. he, when he meets Moriarty in Geneva. Yeah. And you get the scene on, on, on the, uh, that's the, true. Yeah. the balcony or whatever before they fall into the Reichenbach. Like, I feel like that's like, like that's, you know, so you get the first film where there's n- there's no one who's better than him, except that Moriarty is obviously working in the background because mm-hmm. there's things that are happening outside of his control. But for the most part, like his battle against, um, oh, I can't remember that actor's name now. Yeah. Who's in everything. Yeah. That, that time period, he was in every movie. That's right. They couldn't have a British film without that actor. Strong, yeah. Mark Strong. Uh, in it, yeah, Mark Strong as the, as the Lord, whatever. Like that's a pretty easy case for him to solve. Like there's some intricacies, but you know, basically he he gets it and he does it really well. Whereas in the the next film, you know, like he's in mortal danger. Like that that one of my favorite scenes of all time. That chase through the woods with mm-hmm. is like the trees exploding. Oh man, it's great. But it, that they're real in real real danger. Like it's just it's yeah. And then when he gets to the gets to the uh, actual, you know, council or whatever, and, and it's the summit meeting and meets Moriarty there. And then, once again, you get this sense of, oh, he's in trouble. This is, you know, really scary. Like, you know, because the first film, they worked, it worked in a certain way. And this movie, the second movie kind of changes that a little bit. There's still scenes, obviously, where he's he does things and he's in control. You know, even when he's a captive of Moriarty, he uses that moment to, to steal something and... And it's strange to me that there haven't been more of those films. You know, it's just like... because Well, because that second one was so great that they just didn't know what to do. Where do you go? Where do you go after that? It's a, it's a, it's a great film. And That's it's never stopped people from making movies. Before. I know, but... That was it, a really good movie. It's we didn't a, make any more of those. It's a pretty much acknowledged fact that Sherlock Holmes is great up till he, till he dies at the, at the falls. And then the, the return of Sherlock Holmes is not quite as interesting mm-hmm. story-wise. And I think because you lose, well, you lose Moriarty, and also you lose, you lose a sense of of peril. Then it is kind of too bad that you go like right from the first film to the falls. Yeah, which, yeah. You know, you want you always want to get to the falls, <laughs> but do you want to get to the falls? And then you guess, well, we're at the. But falls. you know what? He went on and made the Man from Uncle, which is another great movie. So. Oh, okay. I was thinking like Robert Downey Jr. Then goes on. To oh the, no! Uh, yeah, Doctor Doolittle. <laughs> oh. Yeah. We <laughs> 
Like you just like, hey, 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 Robert, we're rooting for you. What do you got? <laughs> okay. No, that's fine. It's hard to move on from something like, like that, isn't it? Listen, you know, look, you know, that's a, it's a good safe bet to do a Doctor Doolittle movie. It was fine, Freddie Murphy. Got him paid some bills. Nothing wrong with that, <laughs> you know. But his Doctor Doolittle has nothing to do with the Doctor Doolittle of 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 Hugh Lofting. No, it's just another guy who could talk to animals. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, his daughter who could talk to animals. Oh, I didn't know he had a daughter who could talk to that. Yeah, that was a, the next, kind of the Dr. Doolittle next generation. Like okay. Eddie Murphy, his career was, ah, uh, Dream Girls. Ah, oh, we're doing it. Maybe we're back into, uh, maybe. <laughs> not, not at the point where he's going to go and do the, the, the Dr. Doolittle. He's moving on. We're going to see. And he's always, people always like Eddie Murphy, unless he kills someone. <laughs> well, I, you know, he's just at a point where he doesn't need to work. Ever. But he does feel like he needs to... Like, it feels like he's a fighter that needs to fight. Mm. Whenever you see him really interviewed... Yeah. Like, by another comedian or someone that he really respects... Yeah. It is that that he's he's definitely got the the, the fear mm. that, you know, if I, if I come back for the big fight and then I do, get knocked on my ass, like, yeah. I take the big swing... Then, then it's over forever, mm-hmm. and that's yeah, scary. But he wants it. Yeah, definitely wants it. And anytime, like someone like a Chris Rock or someone talks mm-hmm. about him, it's just like, yeah, he's got a lot of great material. It's just like, how do you go up and how do you work it? What do yeah. you do? Do yeah. you go in the small clubs? Do you go do ten minute sets? How do you how do you do surprise sets without everyone like videotaping you? And what do you do? That's a problem nowadays yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's that's interesting. Yeah, we've talked about it before, but there's those early appearances of him on the early David Letterman's and mm-hmm. he's so candid mm-hmm. uh, in those interviews that it's really kind of refreshingly in- interesting to have someone who's just like you know just talking about like my agent said I'm supposed to do this I got it you know da, da, yeah. da. and it's just like okay <laughs> you're really really refreshingly honest I don't know how long this is going to last uh, not forever but that's okay because then you realize oh I need some mystique you know I need I need to have like a, a wall between me and the audience otherwise I'm just like them and who cares about that yeah, and he had definitely the, you know, he was definitely the coolest guy in the room at all times. Mm. And then you get to a point where, again, you're Dr. Doolittle, and that's, and that's fine. <laughs> that's right? fine. When you're... You, know, you're, you, you know, you've moved on, you're, you go to the dad roles, yeah. you go to this. Uh, maybe what, are the, what are the other movies he did like that? Meet the so-and-sos? Or? Well, he, uh, there, was, there was The Nutty Professor, and then yeah. it went to The Clumps after that. Uh, clumps, and then, that's what And was, then yeah. there was kind of a series of... You know, oh, he's good in all these like suits. So you got your Norbit, yeah, where he's the skinny guy and the fat lady and doing the thing, and you're like, well, I've never, again, s- I've never seen those a, movies. It's a big choice, uh, you know. There you go. But, but it, it was it was kind of a period of time where comedians of his generation or who were inspired by him would be putting on a lot of makeup and becoming white chicks or Big Mama's <laughs> house or, you know, or now they're a baby, yeah. you know, and they're basically doing the equivalent of that Warner Brothers thing where the little gangster, you know, pretends to be a baby and Bugs Bunny beats the shit out of him. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of uh, high makeup, you know, <laughs> big suits. Which is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because it predates CGI. Mm-hmm. And but it's like big big costumes and, and yeah, you know, it's all about. Well, I think there's a limited amount of roles if you're not you know just uh, you know your stock white guy. So it's like who are you gonna play? Yeah, yeah. You're like I don't know. I guess I have to go full cartoon. And, I guess that's you know, true. 
and then you do, and then some of those work. And hell, even uh, Medea, yeah, you know, is uh, is like a very over the top, almost cartoonish character in the middle of a very realistic, you know, uh, lifetime movie situations <laughs> that that involve Jesus yeah, okay. in some way. Yeah. All right, I've never seen. But she'll then pull out a gun. And just start, you know, going nuts and smash up a smash up a place to wake up the audience. <laughs> um, do you th- this? You said that, and I was thinking it's too bad. Like it would have been fun to see Eddie Mur- Murphy do some Steve Martin roles from the nineties, like a Father of the Bride kind of stuff. Like that would have been. Yeah, it feels like you know he. Well, he, he did Bowfinger, of course, with with Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, do you think he could? Yeah, he could have done a Father of the Bride for, for sure. For sure, for sure he could have. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it would have been really interesting. Yeah, they both have similar careers in that, like, Steve Martin also was the cool guy, mm-hmm. you know, the over-the-top cool guy. Yeah. And then and then as time went on... Then he, like, kind of tapered tapered yeah, his career. Yeah, became the, the funny stiff, yeah. the actor, yeah. to the comedy instead of the driver of the comedy. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I, did Steve Martin ever get, like... You know, do the dream. Well, I guess he must have done some dramatic roles, right? I mean, of course, Pennies from Heaven, but that Pennies was from a different heaven. situation. Um, yeah, that's I, for sure. You know, he he always had that, you know, uh, gravitas. You know, he did, but I, I don't. Yeah, straight out and out, the kind of like nominate you for. Yeah, this. he didn't do like a Razor's Edge, like Bill Murray did. Yeah, or, like maybe that a was lonely guy, and there'd be t- t- things in there that would be. But they're still mm, comedy. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely like Roxanne is still a comedy. comedy. Yeah. Oh, both totally a comedy, broad comedy. Yeah. 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 I'm, t- I'm trying to think. He was he was good doing some dark roles like uh, Spanish Prisoner. He was good in that. Okay. Kind well, of there thing. you go. There's it. That's not a comedy. No, but uh, he's not starring in it. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Hmm. Yeah. Are you looking at his... I'm his looking at now, yeah. Uh, Parenthood was definitely a comedy. Definitely. Uh, cheaper by the Dozen. You know, those those kind of things. That was definitely garbage. What's that? I said definite garbage at the very least. Oh, they're not for me. I thought uh, Parenthood was all right, though. Parenthood was good, but I just think of Cheaper by the Dozen. and Those films just felt like that Steve needed another wing, another some more paintings for that wing of his house. So he just... Yeah. Inspector I, Clouseau and stuff like that. I just, yeah, I actually... I'm. I, I, I went into Pink Panther thinking, well, this is going to be absolute shit. And I was like, oh, am I laughing? I'm laughing again. I'm laughing again. I'm laughing yet again. What's going on? Yeah. I've never seen it. No, it's... I don't know what to tell you, except I liked it. Okay. I don't That's know fine. what to tell you. That's fine. And I have not seen the uh, Pink Panther 2. But, uh, no, I'm trying to find his filmography and I can't. Hmm. Because it's all just things that he's written, have you? Yeah, he's, yeah. He's done too much. <laughs> he's just done too much he's a busy guy but um, i think you're right i can't think of off the top of my head i can't think of a single like dramatic film that he did and maybe he just knows to stay in his corner i mean he's never even when he got like the chance to do his own movie he does he does a comedy you know the la story is a comedy mm-hmm. bowfinger is a comedy well sometimes you know a comedy is the best way to say what you want to say i haven't seen shop girl is he in shop girl i guess shop girl is not a comedy but i, mean, I think it's like a light romantic film so i guess it maybe is a romantic comedy i have never seen it i have not either but, you know I've based on his own novel it was based on wasn't based on new yorker stories first and then and okay then is that he wrote, he wrote i believe so okay okay hmm i don't know <laughs> well, <I'm not. laughs> anyway uh i hope things work out for eddie murphy i want uh he should he should have won for dream girls i think that really kind of was upsetting to him that he didn't win mm. and it's like come on 
he's singing and he's acting mm-hmm. and he's doing all the range. What do you want? <laughs> I don't know. What do you who, want? Who won? That's more the question. It doesn't matter. It does. I mean, if the, if I think that the person did a better job, then he doesn't, does, Murphy doesn't have to win. <laughs> you think he should get like a lifetime achievement award? Uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah, sometimes. Sure. Sometimes that's what Fair an Oscar enough. is. Fair enough. It's like, uh, yeah. But you know what? If you're going to get that, you have to have had like a stellar role. Like if he had done Dreamgirls mm-hmm. and then followed up with another role that was very good, then he would have won. Mm. You know, but he didn't. He didn't follow it up. So, you know, he put himself out of the running. That's that's the problem. Okay. Like you're going to get your guilt Oscar too. Like you're, oh, he should have got it Oscar, you know. No, that's, nah, that's That happens fair. too. And if you're not, like if you're just kind of coming and going, like just appearing and disappearing, you need to have that, you need to have some, you need to have a career to get an Oscar, I think. I don't think you can just, not often just show up and win, unless it's that one of those fluky out of the, out of the nowhere wins that also can happen. But usually the person's old or they're playing like a person with a disability. Yeah, it feels like if he did a good TV show, he'd get an Emmy like in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get on, get on some cable. You'll be, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. This is my advice to you. I think people are just mad about the Adventures of Pluto Nash. <laughs> Still, they've never forgotten that the Golden Child. Golden Child is not as bad as Pluto Nash. Okay, <laughs> Gold, Golden Child. You go like, yeah, all right. Yeah, there's some action. It's not the best, sure, but it's it's a movie it of was, the time. It kind of stalled his career. It's though. a movie of the time. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's no hudson hawk yeah oh in vampire in brooklyn you know what forget it forget him i don't i don't care about it anymore <laughs> yeah i saw vampire in brooklyn I no i'm not no forget it too bad it's fine dolomite is my name was fine yeah uh, but good uh it doesn't make up for uh west craven's i'm sorry it's west craven's vampire in brooklyn okay let's make sure we get that mm. and it's a comedy Quota- well, do you have to laugh for it to be a comedy? <laughs> was it intended as a comedy? <sighs> Boy. Like, that's, a, that's a mistake. Let me just see what they called it. Comedy horror. Okay. Eh. It's a mistake. Unless you were directed by a director who understands comedy. Wes Craven. Wes Craven doesn't understand comedy. Mm. He's, what, is, what movies is he done? The Hills Have Eyes, House on the Left, which has some uh, funny mo- moments in it, but it's more... Swamp sort of, Thing? Not, not funny. Uh, I've already directed Swamp Shocker? Things. Don't know it. Red Eye? Not a comedy. Red Eye was okay. It's not a comedy. But though. it's not a comedy. People Under the Stairs? Were they funny people under the stairs? Started a couple of uh, Twin Peaks alum, alum but... Uh, Music of the Heart? Doesn't sound like a comedy. Nah, it doesn't. Nah, forget it. Sounds like a... <laughs> I was going to say, isn't it a Hayao Miyazaki movie? I don't know. I, uh, I did sit... Uh, uh, I think I've mentioned this before. But I sat like just a couple of feet away from him at an award show once. Okay. And uh, it was a silly award show. It was kind of silly. It was at Scream Awards on yeah. Spike TV. Yeah. Uh, uh, but he was getting an award. Okay. And it was nice because his wife was next to him. And you could tell she was proud as punch. That's nice. She was so proud. That's great. Oh, it was great. Hello. So I'm saying hello to my wife and my sister-in-law who are bringing in. Did, 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 was the bike there? Yeah. Yay. They got me a bike. Oh, nice. Yeah. There you go. I mean, I don't want to have a contest with families, but did your family get you a bike this week? No, they did not. I win! I've got the best family this week. I have to say, though, that I, I hurt my back at work this week. Oh, I'm I had to spend to a couple that. days at home. I guess two and a half days at home. What what what, what occurred, if you don't mind? Uh, nothing particular. It's the usual thing. Like, whenever I hurt my back, it's for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's never like, 
oh, I had to catch this falling girder or something. No, it's I had to was dragging some steel across the floor with someone else, and it was awkward, and I guess I twisted the wrong way, and, and then it hurt, and it hurt my back. And then I did continue working, and then someone up above me, higher up in, you know, they saw me and they went, are you okay? And I said, oh, I just tweaked my back a little bit. You're going home. So yeah, that's <laughs> that <was> it. <laughs> I'm going I'm to I'm get my bullshit out of the way real fast. Sure, yeah. Uh, I was reaching for some vitamins on a high shelf. Yeah. I messed up my back this week. Oh, really? Yeah. I was just like reaching for vitamins. Back oh, Brothers. Oh, high five. Back Brothers. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and so at about 6.30 almost every morning now, I'll, I'll wake up and I'll just sit on the bed and just have like a back spasm that just goes, ooh. ooh. And then it's like, okay, and we're back to we're yeah. back to it. But mine is not as bad as yours. I don't know. Please back, I don't know. back to your back. All back things are bad. What, are you taking anything for it? No, no. I took a little bit the first first day. Okay. But uh, I would rather just get not, I'd rather not mask the, what's yeah. happening. Because then I feel like it's worse. Do you put some heat on it, some cold? Yeah, I put some heat on it okay. uh, over the last couple of days when I was at home. And uh, just kind of sat around and did, did, did some stretches and things. And then, uh, and it feels better. It feels, okay. I'm at 75%. Okay. It's pretty good. The back is uh, interesting. It's very random. It is very random. And uh, it'll just go, whoop, and now you screwed up. Yeah. But I was just going to say, I got a lot of love, tender love and care from my family. This oh, okay. Well, all right. So your family's nice. fine, too. So I, I'm going to say, I'm going to put myself in the, in the win category on that. Okay. How, uh, how many bikes did I give you this week? No bikes. no bikes. Okay, I didn't ask for a bike, though. Okay. If I'd asked for a bike, I bet you they would have got me one. All right. Maybe not. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I just, I read, I sat at home and read. And, oh, that's bad for the back. Watched some TV. Oh, okay, that's good for the back. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then on, not the first day, I was very sore the, my first day home, but the second day home, I, I did some laundry and clean, clean the bathrooms and things like that, you know. But it, it's more when I stand up, like immediately after I stand up, I get back spasms, and I get that yeah. thing where your legs kind of go, kind of go funny. You're like, "Oh, I could fall over here. That wouldn't be good." But, yeah, but not quite. And that yeah. sounds like it's a good idea that you're home. Yeah, but I was at work today. Okay, I went back to work. Are you today. doing a lot of lifting? Or? No, it's all, I'm on light duty. Okay, good, good. So, yeah, they told me that I'm very valuable, and I'm too valuable to to be Aww. on long term disability. So take it easy. You know, they said you don't have to be here today. I'm like, I know, but I'm so bored at home. <laughs> so they said, uh, that's fine, but we'll just put you on light duty for the next couple of days and then I'll have the weekend off. All right. Well, uh, so that's I, fine. I, I hope you feel better. And uh, I do feel better. The only time I feel really not great is when I've been sitting for a while. Like, so I'm, when I stand up, I'm going to be hunched over like old man Dedrick. But, you know, once I, w- I walk for a bit, it'll, it'll be good. Well, I was reading, yeah, I was reading up on what to do about the back spasm situation. And it's getting, it is getting better now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like uh, do, do light stretching, do this, this, you know, do not, they do not recommend bed rest. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. that's weird. It's like one of the only things that they, you know, it's like uh, bed rest is for everything. Yeah. It's like, no. No. No, you, it's actually bad to lay, on your, lay down like that flat, I think, for your yeah. back. And also, I think it's just, you need to like be doing, a, not straining it too much, but you need to like be a, a little bit active. Otherwise, your back isn't going to get better because it's, you know. So, I mean, re, but rest it, like, you know, like I say, the first day I was, the first day when I came home and then the next morning and into the afternoon a bit, I was very sore. And then I started feeling better and I said, oh, I'm going to go to work tomorrow. And then the girl said, no, you're not. Going good, to work good, tomorrow. Good. Okay. And I said, okay, I'm not going to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> so I did. I took their advice. But, I did, you know, I made dinner. I made dinner on uh, 
Tuesday and Wednesday. So, you know, like, you know, I was fine. I was fine for that. So, but, I, you know, when I was getting up, I needed like someone to like, I'd have to like hold my hand up like an L and then someone locked, interlocked their hand with mine and then help me, help me stand up. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't like lift myself out of the chair with my arms or anything. Oh, geez. It was, okay. It was too, too sore making. It's, it's, I go through this thing now with, uh, with via sometimes where, you know, I'll, uh, I'll be going like, okay, so I got, a, I got some pain going on right now. Now let's f- figure out what this is. Is this because I'm now swimming every day and I'm walking? Okay. Or is it because, you know, I didn't move for like a year and a half because of a pandemic <laughs> or is it because yeah. I'm in my early fifties? Yeah. You know what? Let's spin the wheel and see what it is. I think and it's like, a combination of, of, a, of all of those things. Yeah. It's when you really hear people talk, like people talk about like you know in their i mean people talk about like when they're 40s just going oh in the morning hey jeez and like okay i guess but there's no there's no manual that goes like like there's manuals that will say things like okay so you're 40 so what you're going to need is you're going to need to work on these muscles because these muscles aren't going to start this but you're going to have to this but your whole thing is going to be tone yeah but but they there's never like this like chart of just like Okay, so here's what you're probably going to end up feeling. Mm-hmm. You're going to really feel it in your bloop, and you're going to feel it in your ding, and you're going to feel it in the old. Yeah. And you thought that you could, but now you can't. But you're better at than boop. So our advice is, and don't worry about the. You know, don't do that thing where you grab the giant tire and try to flip it. Don't don't just leap into CrossFit. Yeah. You can you can work up to that. You can work up to it. And you can do the thing where you wiggle the ropes and go wagga da wagga da wagga da wagga. I don't understand. I don't get that stuff. It's fine. It's fine. Well, you know, it's fine. I always like see that, and I go like, it'd be fun if someone just jumped in the middle of it and just went, "My grandma and your grandma sitting by the fire." My mother says, "Your mother." Yeah, wouldn't it be better to actually like be spinning the rope for people who are jumping in the middle? Feels like you're still getting a workout, and yet. Someone do gets, some double dutch yeah, yeah do a little double dutch yeah it's fun uh you don't I, see double dutch anymore per, i you know i blame this on i do blame it partly on the fact that i have not been to the gym since you know last year because sure. I, you know partly partly covid related partly busy with coloring and so it just changes your your time your time uh, um windows are different and for sure it's uh related to that you know and and when you when you start to get back into it you know, you start to build up those muscles, but they're not really totally built up yet. And they're a little bit, they're a little uh, on edge, you know. So when you do that big stretch to get the, the yeah. bottle, the muscle goes because it's, yeah. it's, it's tight. It's not, it's not. You kind of want to just say to your muscles, look, give me a warning. <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll give you a warning. Yeah, be maybe there's a little, just, uh, yeah, maybe that's true. <laughs> uh, th- now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it is my body going, that was the warning, fucker. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fair enough, body. All right, I appreciate yeah. it. But I mean, walking and swimming, you know, you're going to be better. You're going to get a better core. You know, so that in a year you could do that and it wouldn't happen. You know, it's just that you're coming back into it mm-hmm. and your body, you know, needs to warm up to this stuff, you know. And that's just that's just how it is. Like, it's it's good you're doing that stuff because you will have long-term benefits from it. You know, you might have some short-term pain, but that, that's going to come. Like, when you first went back to swimming, you may have had some cramp, like leg cramp problems because mm-hmm. your legs weren't used to... It was, more, it was more spasms in the core. Yeah. It was that feeling where you're just okay. like... And of course, like... If you're ever worried about like heart issues, yeah, it's great because it's like 
oh, something's going wrong here. Oh, wait, no, that's just, no, okay. And I always have to do the thing about like, yeah. is it above the ribs? Is it below the ribs? It's above the ribs. <laughs> well, that's not where your heart is, is it? Yeah. No, you're right. That's just my muscles. Yeah, and what were you doing? Swimming all those laps today? Yeah, yeah, that's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, so that's what that is. Yeah. You decide to, like, let's try a backstroke. Oh, sure. that's great. Sure. It's great, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, those are just temporary things that are going to go yeah. away because you're going to keep doing it and... and, and you know, your muscles will build up and they'll get used to doing this stuff again and then you'll be fine. So yeah, I'm well, very soon going to be going through this where I'm going to be waking up at night, two in the morning, grasping my calf because I, my legs have decided to lock up. Yeah. And that's just, that's life. Yeah. And when you want to do this stuff, that's, you have to go through the growing pains and get back into it. I mean, I have not done any of this stuff for so long. Like I'm going to go back to the gym and I have to start at ground zero. Like, you know, I was really, before I stopped, I was really in really good shape. And uh, then I stopped. There you go. And there you go. Beepity bop. That's life. Beepity 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 bop. Got to work back up to that again. At least yeah. it gives me a goal. I mean, it's like, to me, yeah, my nighttime now is going like, okay, so I'm going to take a little magnesium because I know that will help stop leg cramps. <laughs> and, you know, I've had potassium during the day. And I've and again, that stops leg cramps. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to wake up with maybe a leg cramp. Like, okay. All right. Now what are we going to do? We're going to make sure you have some water because you're going to dehydrate. Okay, fair enough. Are you going to floss your teeth now? No, you're going to floss your teeth in the morning just in case you have any bleeding. And, you, you know, because you're on the blood thinners, you, you'll have more okay. control over it in the morning. Yeah. So let's deal with that then. Okay, mm. so we're going to do that. Now we're going to paste this out and paste this out and do this and do that. And now relax and go to sleep. Okay. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Sure. Let's just keep this, let's just keep this train train moving. I think, like I was complaining, as uh, you know, as 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 you do. On, you? Yeah, I was, I was complaining as you do. Uh, but let me just—I'm going to sidebar this. Sure. And say, I was uh, the other day. I was I was writing on top of the library because there's a top floor of the library here in Vancouver. Okay. It's really beautiful. That's like out in the open air, and it was oh, a beautiful okay. day. Yeah, yeah. And and I was just uh, I was I was I was writing out some some pitches for things, mm-hmm. and then I, I first. It was interesting because there was a group of uh, young women that were there uh, that uh, I, I obviously had no impact on them whatsoever because they were just talking about their lives in the most intimate details where I was just like, oh, boy. Uh, like, I, I feel like if I get up to move, like it'll be a, it'll be a scene right now just like, ooh, you know, I can't handle this. So I'm just like, just there, put the headphones in, pretend like I'm listening to music. I am not. Because um, I can't write while I'm listening to music. You can't write while you're listening to music? Okay. No, so Absolutely. I'm like, okay, here we go. But it was very weird because it was just like, yeah. <laughs> but you can write listening to that. Well, tell him that. You should tell him that. Well, I know you just like him platonically. Well, then just, if you want to just use him for sex, use him for sex. But like, I think you probably could maintain that friendship. I don't, that's just my opinion. <laughs> You're young, you'll get over it. You'll get more friends. Have, I, I don't know. What do you like? Oh my God. She likes that too. Okay. Fair enough. That's good. You see, I'm here, right? Anyway. So anyway, I'm writing out all this stuff. And then I look over to my right, and it's weird because the CBC building uh, in Vancouver has like a, a front on it now that didn't have when I used to work on it. Yeah. Like, uh, but if you're up above and you're looking down, you can see the old CBC. Yeah. And I was looking like right into like, oh, there's my old office. And then I looked over and went, oh, there's another of my old office. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I, did, I, did, I used to work out of there as well. And then I just started writing down things i did at the cbc and then i went like oh 
oh shit, this is what I've got to write about, don't I? Yeah, because every major uh, event in my life also coincided with a job at the CBC. Fuck, that's what i got to write, don't I? Oh, this is a big project. Oh, son of a bitch. And I just started writing everything down. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, I've got to do this. And it's so much work. And oh, no. And oh, no. But yeah, that happened the other day. So huh? that's something that I'm like working on right now. Cool. <sighs> it's just one of these where you're just... Anyway. Uh, the thing that I was complaining about mm-hmm. was uh, because of whatever various things... Uh, I've been waking up in the morning, mm. and uh, and uh, I got to find a way of stopping that because it's and not as in like don't wake up anymore. I want to keep waking up, but just not not in the morning. Mm. It just it it's just affected my mood so much. You know, uh, getting up in the morning for the last couple of months, and it's so bad for productivity, and it's so bad for any semblance of a social life, and it's so incredibly depressing to get up in the morning. In the morning, morning, yeah. Yeah. that I've got to find a way around it. But like my body right now is just so adjusted to that mm. that like when it's like nighttime, I'm like just loosey goose neck falling asleep. <laughs> and normally I'd be able to like force my way through it. But yeah, I've yeah. Got to just find a way around it. And yeah. and doing the exercise also makes when I'm about to go to sleep more. Now we sleep. Yeah, we're completely sleeping now. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if I wasn't exercising, it would just be like, I oh, don't sleep anytime. What, what's it? To, what's it to us? We don't give a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to find a way to uh, do that. The other day, I actually did sleep in till about eleven thirty, mm. and I was like, oh, "This is right. This is the. This is the. This is the energy. This is the start of the day. Yeah, that works for me." But like, you know, I was getting up at like seven in the morning, and it was just like hours of like nothingness. Just like there's nothing to do. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to watch. Yeah, I can come down and try to work, but no one that I kind of collaborate with or anyone I get any feedback off of or anything is, is, you know, they're starting their day they're yeah. doing stuff. Yeah. There's no, yeah, nothing. There's just nothing void for like hours and hours and hours and hours. And then when I start getting my energy ready to work in the evening, well, time to go to sleep. And, it's just like, <laughs> and it just feels like, you know, uh, like an arm on the back of my neck, just going, go to sleep, go to sleep, go mm. to sleep. You son of a bitch. Mm. Go to sleep, go to sleep now. I was like, I, I don't want to. No, nope, you're going to, and you're gone. Go to sleep. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll see you tomorrow morning, bright and early. So, is that what you mean by uh, your limited social life? Is that the people that you collaborate with are, are not awake when? You... Well, the idea of like going out and doing a live show, mm. like say I was to do an open mic night or something, those would start at like nine or okay. what have you. So, okay. by the time I would get on stage, I my body would just be going like I'm just as tired. And I and I, it would be a very hard time for me to get home, you know. After that, I would just be legitimately very, very, very tired. Yeah, yeah. Or even like just seeing a movie at night, which you know is something I do. I'm like I'm falling asleep during like a late movie. Wow. You know. Wow. Yeah, and I'm I'm so like my whole life I have like I'm I'm sort of trained in my brain to like this is where when you do the creative stuff, mm-hmm. you know and. It, it feels like, you know, there's, there's this, this energy. And even if I'm taking a break, it's like, well, what's on TV right now? That TV is more intense. It's like there's, you know, there's late night shows and they're, they're doing comedy quick and fast. And there's, there's uh, you know, uh, you know uh, edgier programming that's on that's like wake you up programming. But like you're in the morning, it's just like, what's on? Well, let's get things started. We're going <laughs> to show different uses for granola. Mm-hmm. So there we are. And bubba de boo and da da Here's what the traffic's like. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm a night person. Like I get mm-hmm. energy at nine o'clock at night. Yeah. Like I'm a I'm a afternoon napper. If I was not working at work, well, this happened when I was home the last couple of days. Like I just fell asleep in the chair while I was sitting there. You know, because it's it was nap time for my body. But yeah, at nine o'clock at night, I like get this burst of energy in it. And I'm like, okay, now it's time to do stuff. But then I, time to do, well, I got to get to bed because I got to get up early in the morning. Now I'm getting up a time that I particularly hate. Yeah, you're getting up early, early now. I'm getting up at five in the morning, which just started this week, which I, so I haven't had to do it very much, to be honest, right. because I, I cleverly injured my back so I could avoid getting up early this week. But yeah, now I'm getting up at five. And I, went, and I have to say that five is, to me, the worst time to wake up. Like, I imagine even earlier it would be terrible, but like five, which I still can think of as the morning. Yeah. Five in the morning, like, it's just a time that I'm depressed. Yeah. Like, when I wake up, I'm sad. Yeah. And I feel despair. And I think about my life feels wasted. And I'm just sitting in my bed like, I've wasted my life. This is, I'm working this job and I'm, it's okay, but I've just wasted my life. <sighs> what am I going to do? You know, and then you like get up and then you have to get on with your day. I don't feel like that at six in the morning. Mm. I feel like that at five in the morning. I don't know why. Sure. It's just weird. And so now I'm, I haven't felt that way this week, though. I've been, I've been getting up um, and I'm okay. So maybe I'm over that feeling anyway. I know that there's a... There's I know a, my life is over. There's like a certain... <laughs> it's not. There's a certain There's a certain hour that's the mortality hour. Where like if you stay up to this certain point yeah. and like you've got nothing on the go, your brain's just going to go... So one day you're going to die, huh? What do you think that's going to be like? Where do you think you're going to be? What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. yeah what's that all about? Yeah, right. Anyway, time for you to go to sleep. That's <laughs> yeah, good practice for you. We'll be doing that a little later on. Get used to it. Yeah. Yeah, enjoy. Can I sleep in sheer terror? No, I guess not. But you know, I, that's how I feel in the morning. Yeah, it's like... Yeah. I, I had I had that talk with a therapist of mine that was like my one really good therapist mm-hmm. once where she was talking about circadian ribbon rib, ribbons. She was wear these yeah, yeah. ribbons in your head, the circadian ribbons. <laughs> Tie a circadian ribbon around the old oak tree. That's that, right. That popular song. Uh, your circadian uh, rhythms and how people do better when they get up in the morning and they go to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. And I was saying like, but when I get up in the morning, the first thing that my body just goes is uh, failure. You failed. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah, failure. You've, yeah. You've, you've made bad choices, mm-hmm. which is why you're getting up right now. This <laughs> yeah. is failure. Exactly. That's and what, then that's my cat what, yeah. comes in and my cat goes, Meow! And I'm like, <laughs> okay, so my cat's saying, uh, you've let me down. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I have simple needs and you have not <laughs> fed me uh, at the time. You are, Of course, you have fed me the same time you fed me every day of my life. <laughs> yeah. But that is insanely late to me right now. <laughs> and so... Uh, <laughs> you know, like, well, I've got to go pee. What? <laughs> you all have to pee. Yeah. Listen, could you just get, feed me? <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's uh, morning equals failure. It's just, yep. Nope. Nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, there's times where I've had jobs where I've had to get up. And, yeah. You know, in the morning, and yeah. times I've had jobs I loved, I've had to get up in the morning, but it still felt wrong. Yeah, the rhythm felt yeah. wrong. It's like if I had my druthers, mm-hmm. this job that you know I have to be at work for nine. If we were all at work for twelve, I feel like we'd have a better show. <laughs> and you yeah, know, it amazes me sometimes when I hear like late night shows. You know, have people that like you, you got to get into the office for like nine in the morning. It's like, well, that's a wrong headspace. <laughs> Comedy doesn't show up until noon. But that's. That they have different rhythms in you, I guess. So. Yeah, it's just weird. I, I know. I legitimately weird. think comedy does not show up until 
until noon. And it's like if there's any, it's like it's like picking vegetables too early. Mm-hmm. It's just like all right, we got them all, all the carrots out of the ground. Well, they're just nubs. But it's like you wait till noon. They'll all grown. <laughs> it'll be it'll be the right size, and you'll be fine. You know, unless of course it's a situation where you've got to like tweet something. Like I used to work for Mad Magazine, I'd write some of the tweets, and it'd be like, you got to be the first one to this. So you got to get up real early, and I would get up, and then I would go back to sleep. But like I get <laughs> yeah. up for like you know five in the morning, yeah. and I just go, what's going on? Okay, all right, who's covered this? No one. Okay, and then you go like. What it's National What Day today? Okay, great. There's a big list of that, that shit. Do that. Yeah. Okay, it's the anniversary of what today? Okay, there we go. And that. And is there any public figures that are doing stuff? Mm, close enough. All right. <laughs> da, da, da. And I'd send all those out, and then you know they'd use the ones that they wanted to yeah. use, and then it's like back to sleep. Any public figures? Anson Williams. Oh well, I guess I'll have to. That his name? That is yeah, that's right. Anson. Are you talking Potsy? Yeah. Yeah. Starting to go way back there. Uh, yeah, one nice thing about getting up early in the morning, though, which I do kind of like, is that feeling of, like, it's 10 o'clock and you've done a bunch of stuff. Sure. You're like, oh, I've mowed the lawn. I've, mm-hmm. you know, done, you know, got the chickens, the thing cleaned out. I've done this or that. And then, what time is it? 10 o'clock. Woohoo! I got the whole day ahead of me. 2 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I do get a lot of shit done in the morning. Like, I get up. Cat, cat is like, you're a failure. I'm like, okay, well, well, cat's right. Thanks, cat. Better go down, make sure that, uh, you know, uh, clean up my shit. Okay, well, let's clean that litter box. Wash my hands uh, so we don't get that disease that cats will kill you with. And then uh, into the into the kitchen, what needs doing? Okay. That, what disease is that? Uh, vet bills? Is that the one? <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, dishes, dishes, doing the dishes. Okay, prep stuff for later on. Here we go, here we go. And then go, okay, what is there? Well, you could work on this, this, or this. Hmm. Well, the cat cat kind of needs some attention. <laughs> I, should probably just, I should probably watch a video for like 20 minutes. What's a, some cooking video mm-hmm. for 20 minutes? That'd be, that'd yeah. be fine. Or oh, there's, wait a second, there's the 75 Easter eggs I missed in that trailer for the <laughs> Spider-Man. Watch that, I guess. 75. And the, uh, the cat seems to be like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's about right. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, that's the, I'll agree with you there. That's the one thing I cannot do getting up early in the morning is do anything creatively. Like when I was, I had time off uh, to do the coloring mm-hmm. for Sparks when we were going to, you know, finish it off. And I took some time off work. Like, you know, I would still get up early because I'm, I'm still kind of programmed to get up early now. Sure. So I would wake up, let's say, you know, at first I was like waking up at 630, then I slowly kind of crept forward a bit. But let's say, you know, I get up at 630. I would just do like household chores mm-hmm. until noon. And then I had lunch. <laughs> then I'd be like, well, I guess I should roll out to the shop and see what's going on out there and then go out there and turn on and start coloring around two o'clock in the afternoon. I wouldn't even have started. And then I would just color it until yeah. into late, late at night and then get up, you know, sleep for five hours or whatever and then get up again. And, but yeah, I just cannot, I just, that makes no sense to me to be doing that yeah. kind of stuff. Because those are things you do in the evening. I guess maybe because we went to school and we came home and we did creative things at night. I think there's... Is that part of that? Well, I mean, the creative thing is like, you're waking up. What do you... Where's your creativity right now? Yeah. Well, I just dreamed for like eight hours. (laughs) My brain is tired from creativity. It was just making things, whether you can remember it or not. Yeah, yeah. You were just riding a dragon, you know, through your old high school. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, all right. But you don't have anything really in the mix to to make stuff with. And then as you go on through the day, you build up, you build up, you build up, you build up. Ah, 
Yeah. There we go. Now I've got I've got stuff to be creative about. I've had a lot of input, and now I'm processing all this stuff, and now yeah. I can put it together. You can assemble shit in the morning. Like I could write down ideas the night before, and then in the morning just go. I can proofread something. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Uh, I can I can probably structure stuff. I can go like okay, the beats of this need to be this. But yeah, just straight up creative creative stuff. Forget it. Huh. Good night. That's interesting because there's that. One of I think one of those Spy Kids movies or whatever has like Robert Rodriguez's film school kind of thing where he's talk, but he talks in there about like he writes when he get wakes up in the morning he just sits in bed and writes because mm-hmm. he feels like he's most free at that time he just wakes up it, you know there's no inhibitions yet just let it of course that could be a problem with his movies because you know his movies aren't great let's face it and so maybe that's why. Don't write in your Shark bed. Shark Boy <laughs> and Lava Girl. That does sound like a good idea to spend a couple of years on that. All right. I doubt he spent a couple Job of years on that Job well movie. done. And let me just look down here. Cheat on Wife? Uh, yes. That sounds good, too. I think that'll work out for me as a family filmmaker doing that. Okay. So, off I go. Well. I know. Uh, there's a lot of people that do a lot of things, and I, uh, I'm not one to judge on that a little bit. Maybe, uh, <laughs> a little bit. but uh, I mean, you. I mean, we can judge it as is not well thought out. As ugh. yeah, <laughs> not well thought out. But the heart wants what the heart wants. I guess sometimes. Yeah, and uh, and saying that it's sometimes the the heart that you're talking about might not be true. <laughs> Are we talking about the heart or all right? The boner wants blood the boner goes gets to. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. That's I, it's weird when you see like yeah his filmmaking school and it, you see his garage and it's got all the stuff. Yeah, it, like this is the weird thing to me now. Like mm-hmm. I look at I look at like the old videos of his and it's like he's got all the stuff to make stuff. He's got like a green screen there. He's got like all this amazing yeah. stuff. Yeah, and I'm like oh my god, could you imagine? You have all that stuff, and then I look around me now and just go, you got all that stuff. I'm like shut up. <laughs> Shut up. I was like, no, you do, right? Like this computer yeah. that you're writing on right now, this has an ed- editing software on here, right? Amazing editing software. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you, have a, you got a green screen, right? I got a fucking green screen. Okay. <laughs> you could yeah, do true. all these things that he's talking about. Hmm. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Well. You know, you could cheat on your wife. What? what? <laughs> Is this the devil on my shoulder? Get out of here. Hey, that's Robert Rodriguez on my shoulder. Son of a bitch. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, where does his career kind of go off the rails? There, there. It's it. The thing is, like we don't appreciate sometimes how valuable our partner is to our creative creative things that we do. That might be that might be it. Uh, it's like like he he was doing the kids stuff, and but he he was doing Planet Terror. That's where he that's when he met Rose McGowan, right? That he had an affair. Oh, with. is that right? No, yeah, okay. fair enough. Um. I don't mean fair enough as in good for you, but it's like <laughs> no, that's that's information that is accurate, Dave, or whatever. Yeah, I know okay, what you mean. and yeah, I was doing the machete movies, and that's all fun. Like it's obviously he's doing stuff that he likes to do. That's fine. They're not they're not great films. I don't think the I don't think the machete films are good movies. I think they're okay. Yeah, waste of time stuff. But I don't. They're not. They're not as good as. Oh yeah, he did Predators. That's right. That wasn't too bad. He did Predators. Yeah. Yeah, oh, oh, he produced it. He produced yeah, I, don't, I was going to say, I don't think he directed it. Okay, yeah, and he did write the early drafts of the script. Okay. Mm. Yeah, like, like you see something like, you know, the, the kids' movies, if you can make those cheap and fast, yeah. there's always a market for, for those. Well, that's what he was doing. I mean, those films yeah. were done in his own studio. 
he did all the music for me, edited them, he wrote them, he, you know, he, it was a real family affair at that time, but yeah, I mean, since then, I just, I don't feel like he's, I, I, I thought Alita was okay, I mean, but it just feels like he's just working for someone else's vision, he's working at James Cameron's vision, you know, he's not doing that for himself. Oh, and his latest stuff, he was working on uh, The Mandalorian, so... That was a success. So. Eh, that's fine. But that's I mean, fine. once again, that's not him. That's just, no. he's just a gun for hire working on something that he, I mean, obviously, you know, he's excited to work on a Star Wars project. Yeah, but, it's a big, it's a, it's yeah. a big budget thing. And uh, it uses all the skill sets that he's been developing sure. over the years. So that does make sense. <laughs> that's fine. People really liked it. And yeah, yeah. that's fine. That's, yeah, they call uh, uh, his relationship with Rose McGowan. In uh, uh, dalliance, a dalliance, yeah, there you which is really mean. great. I mean, it's a great thing to throw your your your. I want to say your life away, but throw throw away a big chunk of your life away on a, a dalliance. Not even yeah, like a long term thing. Yeah, again, I, I, it's it's weird to like get into the the hall of judgment on, <laughs> on this stuff. It's like I don't know what anyone's relationship is about what, and I don't yeah. know where it's coming from and who's, and I don't yeah. know what about the boof, you know. Uh, you know, I have not, uh, cheated on people, but I have been part of a public breakup that people took sides on and it was like, okay, you know, it's things and you go like, will it be in my CBC book? Maybe it will be. We'll see. <laughs> Who knows? Um, Who knows? yeah, I just, I don't know. Think of someone like George Lucas and Marcia Lucas, his, uh, his wife, who is, Edited Star Wars, edited, um, edited Taxi Driver, I believe, as well. Oh wow! You know, worked on his early films, worked on American Graffiti. Like I think she had a real input in in his in his output. <laughs> I think she really uh, was a big part of like making Star Wars a good film. Like she, you know, she cut out the opening part where um, Luke Skywalker has a conversation with his buddy uh, who's going off to Flight Academy or whatever. Yeah. You know, look, we didn't need that in the movie, and she's said we don't <laughs> I need. Want to say sorry. We don't need that. I was trying to think of his name, and I know it's like Biggs or something. Yeah. But I was thinking like Boss Skaggs. Boss Skaggs, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, he Lido Shuffle. <laughs> that was a musical segment in the film. Lido. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a uh, there's few jobs better than being a band member in the Star Wars. <laughs> no, you know. It's it's a, it's a good it's a steady gig. That's you right. know, even even the worst the worst bar in the world yeah. will have a lovely little four piece jazz band. Yeah, ragtime. That's right. Even you're going like, oh, how about if it was like a murdering hut? Yeah, you know, with who's like got slave pits and sure, yeah, they, yeah. Still, still, they need a band. They gotta, and the band's working regular. Yeah, sure. You gotta have a dance atmosphere in your in your uh, club. Yeah, no one no one has a jukebox. <laughs> None of these droids can play music. Apparently not. Not one of them. Not, not one, of, one them. of them. They never. The MP3 has not been invented in this world. It has not. Nor can they take very good pictures either. Nope. That you know. They can do a hologram. They have terrible camera phones. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Robert Rodriguez also did uh, Alita: Battle Angel. I said Alita. Oh, did you? I yeah. apologize. But I once again, I... that was a James Cameron uh, joint that he was hired on to right. direct. Yeah. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, but like that to me, when I saw Alita, I was like, this seems like a Warshawski film. Feels like that kind of like bizarre. Some people will really like this. But, <laughs> I enjoyed uh, it. That was some, fine. But, but some bold choices that yeah. I'm like, this this is very speed racer to me. <laughs> it's like okay, it's, I'm sure it's it's fine. 
It'll have its defenders. In about 20 years, it'll have even more. That's right. Um, Dave. Yes, uh, sir. Uh, during this time that you've uh, been uh, resting, have you yeah. been watching any uh, anything? Have you been... Uh, have, well, uh, do we have I, any segments? I did. I watched all of the first season of Mortel, the French uh, supernatural uh, show. That sounds fantastic. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> um, do you, did you see any Dark Shadows? I did watch some Dark Shadows. All right. Very good. I uh, hope people have caught up by now because we had a couple of weeks without any Dark Shadows. So this is on Tubi. Uh, and if you yep. want to uh, watch along with Dave, what episodes are we up to now? You know what? I I forgot to write it down. Well, you know what? Look at <laughs> Sorry, uh, look on our Sneaky Dragon page, sneakydragon.com. Maybe uh, I'll put it there. Maybe you it will there. Uh, see the thing. I'll put it there for people. Yeah, so it's been a couple couple weeks since we talked about this everyone. So hope you remember where we are. I don't. I uh, b- b- uh, b- uh, Barnabas is not a vampire still. <laughs> is that correct? Barnabas, Barnabas has is... not returned to vampirism. Barnabas has not returned to vampirism. Okay. Let me just look back here. I feel like I had done... Oh, here we go. Oh, it's episode 660. This is where we're starting. Very good. We're almost at 666. So if you remember, we had... The kids have come under the influence of some ghostly ghosts. Right. Quentin Collins. Or uh, bad influences. Yes, they're bad influences. They got the kids doing bad things. And also, it's a bad subplot. It's boring. <laughs> it's so boring. Because they just... They have no... It's so aimless. One day, one kid is... Under control of, you know, in the control of these uh, ghosts. And then the next time, the other kid's in the control of the ghosts. And they're constantly, like, going, oh, I'm so tired of these ghosts. And the one's like, you can't be tired of these ghosts. Oh, okay, I won't be tired of them then. Ugh. So anyway. But then David took some pictures of Barnabas. I took a, a picture of Barnabas and Carolyn to finish his film role. Okay. And they developed the film. And then they asked, could we see this film role, David? And he showed it to them. And in the film role... Behind Carolyn and David was clearly Vicky hanged by the neck. Okay. Until dead. Okay. And so they're concerned about that. And so uh, Barnabas is convinced that Vicky returned to the past only to be hanged as a witch. So he's like, she's just gone back to the past to be condemned to be a witch. As she was, this is, she was taken out of the past and brought into the present. Yeah. But unlike in the past when there was... Uh, there was the Phyllis Wick who had changed places with her. There's no one Vicky can change places with to return to the present. So she's stuck there and will be killed. And so he vows that he will somehow travel back in time to save her. Barnabas decides to visit Professor Stokes for help. Meanwhile, the children are outside playing. Uh, They morbidly explore the cemetery where they find Peter Bradford's tombstone and beside it, a freshly dug grave. So it's open. It's an open hole in the ground. Meanwhile, Professor Stokes is not helpful. He goes, what am I, a a time travel agent? He actually says that, which is good. (laughs) He feels that Jeff slash Peter's connection made a link to the past. That's how he was able to travel to the past because what Barnabas wants is for the professor to give him the concoction of herbs that he gave to Peter that drew him back to the past. And what's interesting about this shot, though, is that they're talking, and the shot is in a convex mirror. And so their faces are all distorted while they're having this conversation. Both Barnabas and the professor's faces are in this mirror. It's a really weird, but kind of fun shot. Which, you know, let's face it. One of the fun things about the show is that for all its cheapness, for all its off-the-cuff weirdness, everyone cares who's doing the show. Like, they're they're putting in their their best efforts. Mm-hmm. There's no, like you know, locked off two shots on the show. It's always something interesting. It's always weirdly 
weird tableaus of actors to get the most of them on the stage. We got lots of back acting, you know, so everyone's backs are to each other while they're acting, so we can see their faces. And and this is, but it's always it's always interesting. Um, so Professor Stokes is not helpful. Uh, the children, meanwhile, looked for the cemetery's caretaker because they're wondering why there's a a grave. There shouldn't be a grave. This is a no longer working cemetery. Okay. It has people from the past in it. It has some of the the columns of of the past generations. It has locals who are buried in in, in you know a hundred years ago and stuff like that. But it's no longer an active cemetery. So why is there a grave in it? So, but they're unable to find this person. Um. Now let me just turn this page because please do. I don't know where it's I am. It's the only way anymore. to read the other side. Dave. I don't know where I am. No, no. So they can't find it. But when they return to the open grave, it has been filled in. So that's very strange. They're puzzled and return to. Collinwood, and tell Barnabas, Barnabas about the mysterious self-filling grave. So he and Julia immediately go to explore the cemetery. There is no fresh grave. Mm-hmm. They find a gravestone that says Victoria Winters hanged as a witch in 1796. Ooh. So we see that the past has, what's happening in the past is affecting the present. So Barnabas vows once again to return to the past and save <laughs> Vicky. He tells Julia what happened on the night of Vicky's hanging. Because, of course, he was there. He remembers this. He was alive at this time. What follows is basically a clip show retelling these events. And it truly is a clip show. They just have old clips, which we've never seen oh, before. Oh, wow. We've never had this they happen before. They don't do before. that. They usually yeah. just re- recreate. Yeah. So they have like an entire episode, a half-hour episode, showing the history of mm. uh, basically retelling the events. The death of Naomi, Barnabas's revenge on Nathan Forbes, and Barnabas's being entombed by his father. It's all retold in, in huh. this. And then Barnabas calls upon the spirit of Peter Bradford to return him to the past. And as he does so, Julia fades away. And Barnabas is uh, just standing there, still in the cemetery, but it's, it's, Barn- Julia's gone. And we hear the howling of dogs. So we know that something's different. And Barnabas, uh, they have a close Barnabas and he has vampire teeth. He's returned to the past and now he's a vampire oh, again. Shit. So uh, he's, you know, walking somewhere. And then Ben Stokes appears and he's confused by Barnabas's behavior because Barnabas, of course, is like, you know, it's all true. It's true. You know, they've, they've, spirits have changed. The, you know, and, and so he's all like, well, you were just over there. What are you doing here? And why are you worried about what happened? You know, and, <laughs> uh, but Barnabas tells Ben Stokes that he has a plan to change the, the course of history. As before, uh, we cut to Nathan Forbes boozing it up at a uh, local tavern. And Barnabas confronts him, as he did in the past. But this time, when Forbes tries to arrest him, Barnabas goads Forbes into shooting him. And then he sweeps all the, you know, sweeps a bunch of glass off the table and says, you can't kill a man who is already dead. <laughs> and Forbes is all like, yikes. And he says, I'm going to kill you at nine o'clock tonight. In prison, Vicky is asleep in her cell. She is awakened by Barnabas. And now Vicky is as we've talked about before, for the link, most of the links in the show, Vicky was played by Alexandra Moltke, the actress, but she left the show. She got pregnant and left the show, uh, getting out of her contract. And then she was played by an uh, actress named Betsy Durkin, who was very controversial at the time because, you know, you could never be the next something without being controversial. And so everyone hated her, but she was prepared to come back. She would have played the show, but they kind of contacted her out of the blue and she had arranged a trip to Europe, which she really couldn't get out of. So she wasn't going to play the character. So they brought in an actress named Carolyn Groves, and she is the new Vicky. 
So is there any explanation why she looks so different or no, okay. they don't, they don't worry about that stuff. They don't, right. Actors come in, actors go and they just get, they just replace the actor and there's no, there's never any explanation for what happened. Uh, like Dr. Doc Woodard that I think they had during the time of the show that I watched, they had three different doctors play that role. Wow. And there's never an explanation of, okay. of the change. And it can be disappointing because same with Dr. Woodard, we talked about this at the time, but and 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 with Vicky, you know, you have these emotional things happening with these characters, but because they're played by different actresses or actors, it doesn't work the same because the actor you've been used to or the actress you've been used to in that role, when they change that person, your connection to them kind of changes too. And so you're not you're not reacting to her as Vicky, you're reacting to her as other person who is called Vicky. And so you're not you're not like, "Oh, she's leaving the show." <laughs> You're like, well, she's already left the show, so <laughs> what to do? Um, but yeah, so uh, Barnabas assures Vicky that she and Peter will survive the night. Okay. Forbes shows up at Collinwood seeking protection from Barnabas. Ben tells him about, and so then he shames Ben into telling, into, you know, he's like, so you're gonna let me die? You're gonna basically you're gonna kill me. And so then Ben says, well, uh, you in order to kill Barnabas, you have to find him in the morning, go in with a stake and a mallet. You know, drive it through his heart, and then he'll die. And he's like, what? But it's too late, because you're not going to make it to the morning. Barnabas is going to kill you at 9 o'clock at night, so you're not going to live. So, sorry, you're dead. So long. And uh, so then we get, like before, Nathan waiting for Barnabas to come. He has seen the crossbow and decided, ah, here's a way I can kill him. It's a wooden crossbow. It'll go, it'll go through his heart. I'll kill him. Uh, Barnabas approaches, but instead of entering the study straight on, he attacks Forbes from behind. Oh. And so, but this time it's different. Instead of killing Forbes, he allows him to live because he wants Forbes to do something for him. It's kind of unclear what's going on here. Okay. But he forces him to write a confession. Oh, that's what it is. He forces him to write a confession, exonerating Vicky and Peter. And Nathan bargains with, 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 um, with Barnabas. Like, he's like, well, I'm not going to do it unless you will do something for me. And so, uh, but Barnabas hasn't, this is like, you know what? I don't need to go through all this. So he just bites Forbes and puts him into his thrall. And so Forbes is then forced, like in a trance, to write the confession. And he signed the confession. And then he takes Forbes to, to uh, he's taking Forbes to jail, but he's seen, he's spotted by Millicent, who has been maintaining that Barnabas is alive. And here's more evidence that, He's alive. Okay. So Barnabas takes Forbes to jail. He meets Ben there. They're talking, you know, kind of recapping for us. And then he sends Ben home because Barnabas is a vampire now and he's very hungry. So he trolls the docks and he meets uh, Crystal, a streetwalker who's there, Lady of the Night. Right. And on the docks. And he kills her because he is a vampire. And let me just say... He takes an awful long time to do it. It's one of those scenes where it's like, ah, I'm going to bite you. Ah, and the camera's like looking up at him and he's like with his mouth open, ah, for so long, you know, so we can see his fangs. And then he goes down. Like the lady could have walked away by the point yeah. in time he got to, to kill him. We haven't had uh, him kill anybody in a very long oh, time. Oh, a very long time. Yeah. This is very so. exciting for, for the people who were like all into vampi- the vampire Barnabas. Yeah. And then they watched the show and went, he's not a vampire? What's, what's going on? So yeah. So he uh, kills this lady. Meanwhile... Nathan tries to explain to a very confused Millicent how to destroy Barnabas. So she's come to visit him in jail. And he's like, he's still kind of in thrall, but he kind of forces himself out of it. And he, he's like, you got to help me. You need to go kill Barnabas. You got to get a stake and a mallet and go to his coffin and open it up and drive a stake through his heart. And she's like, what are you talking about? 
And uh, meanwhile, Barnabas and Ben have to figure out how to free Vicky. It's one thing to, you know, get Nathan Forbes. Oh, because what happened was Forbes' signed confession got Peter released, but the witch, the witch, uh, you know, the witch, the witch proof or whatever is too much to just let Vicky go on 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 the one bit of of, uh, of Forbes' confession. So she is still doomed. Peter has been released though. And so now Barnabas and Ben have to figure out how to free Vicky. And Barnabas is feeling very guilty about having killed that prostitute. He says, I forgot how, what it was like being a vampire. I forgot the, the you know, the bloodlust, the, the irresistible desire to kill. Like, I just forgot what this was like, and this is terrible. And so uh, he goes into his father's study, and there he discovers his victim, Crystal, is, is in a chair. What? In his study. That's what he says. He immediately goes out to Ben for help. And so they go they go back into the, the study and they walk up to the chair and then peeping out from the, the chair, smiling her curious smile, it's Angelique. Ah. Oh, Angelique. This Angelique, though, is the Angelique from the future, not the Angelique of this time period. She has been punished for... I don't know what. She's been punished for... Um, I guess for what she did in the in the the future. Sure. So they send her back to the past as punishment. <laughs> I don't know. As you do. Yeah. Your punishment is you're going back to the they past. They stole a watch from sending you to the 30s. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'll give, teach you. I'm giving you a sore tooth and sending you back to 1796. <laughs> Ooh, that would actually be. Oh, that would <laughs> be really kind of angry, awful. Right? Yeah. yeah. That'd be awful. Oh, that's a that's actually a pretty good punishment. But uh, <laughs> Angelique has a has a bargain has an offer for, for Barnabas. She offers to help save Vicky if Barnabas will remain in that time period with her. So she still is in love with him and, want, and is like, listen, if you stay with me, I will save Vicky, and then, but you have to live with me in this time period. And Barnabas has no choice. He agrees. Um, so Peter is with Vicky in jail. And then Barnabas comes in with very vague instructions for Vicky because we're getting here. Like the problem for Jonathan Freed or Jonathan Frid is that he was... Uh, nearsighted and so he needed glasses to read the the teleprompter mm-hmm. but he couldn't wear them as barnabas so he would often have trouble like remembering his lines or seeing them on the teleprompter so it was kind of like when you see chico in a movie where actors have to feed him the lines to like get him through the scene sometimes because he's too busy like calling his bookie it's the same with jonathan frid so he'll be like uh so uh we're you know uh just be calm, and you're going to rescue us. Yeah, we're going to. I'm going to rescue you because you know. And so you know, just like you know, he's. You're going to suck my blood. Yeah, yeah. Suck your blood. <laughs> so um, he basically says like uh, that gives him this these vague instructions. Which um, so when she's taken to the gallows, she has to refu- like refuse to wear her the head the hood, and uh, and she has to trust Barnabas. That's basically what he says. Just have to trust me. And then when so. Um, now, when she's taken to the gallows, Barnabas tells Peter that Angelique will arrive to save Vicky from the noose. So we just have to wait. Angelique's going to show up. Everything's going to be cool. <laughs> so Vicky's brought to the gallows. The noose is placed around her neck. Right. And she is hanged till, until she's dead. <laughs> and Angelique never comes. And Peter's, Peter's like, what the F, yo? Like, what the hell? I thought you said Angelique was going to come. And Barnabas was like, well, she said she was. <laughs> So, Vicky's dead. That's not like Angelique. Wait, it is. Yeah. So, P- Peter's able to, to uh, claim Vicky's body, and 
they take her body back to Collinwood, which I thought was kind of weird because everyone hated her at Collinwood because she was a witch, but okay, they take her back to Collinwood. And, uh, you know, everyone talks over her body, then they leave, and then as Vicky lies there, uh, Angelique appears from the shadows, and she walks over to Vicky and says, you know, now, you are now in my power, and I will never wake you because Barnabas loves you too much, and so I can never let you wake up. And then she, that's it. And then, for some reason... I missed an entire episode. I think it was one of those things where, because I was re-watching some of these shows to write the notes, yeah. it like skipped an episode as showing that it had already been watched and went to the next ah. one. And so uh, this episode begins with something we don't see very often, which is Barnabas opening his coffin and climbing out of it, rising from his, from his coffin. And Ben is waiting for him there as he, as he wakes up. And they have a little conversation about, we need to do something. I'm like, okay. Peter is emoting over the body of Vicky, which for this actor consists of pressing his hands to the side of his head. That's how he emotes. Oh, I'm in such pain. Doesn't matter what he's doing. Is he angry? Hands to the side of head. Sad? Hands to the side of head. Frustrated? Hands to the side of head. Headache? Hands to the side of head. That's the only one that makes sense. But uh, Josette's aunt, Natalie, Millicent, and a lurking Angelique are there as he's, uh, as he's crying over the body of Vicky. Um, that Angelique leaves the room and she she come, she goes to meet Barnabas in the tower room where his coffin has was kept. Um, and so uh, she comes in and he's like, she's like, now you, you know, have to fulfill your part of the bargain. He's like, well, you didn't fulfill your part of the bargain. I'm not going to go yeah. out, out with you. Yeah, I wasn't. And then Ben rushes in the room with a torch and he lights her on fire. Oh, and she burns away. <laughs> With great shrieking. That's and, your answer to everything. Yeah, she's all gone now. But when she's gone, the spell holding Vicky is broken. So Vicky awakes. And so uh, after instructing Ben to spread Angelique's ashes to the wind, Barnabas leaves the tower room. But as he leaves, Natalie Dupre sees him. Josette's aunt, Natalie. And so she investigates the tower room and discovers the coffin. And then uh, she, with the help of, of uh, Silly Millicent, realizes that Barnabas is a vampire. While all this is happening, Bar- Barnabas has a heartfelt goodbye with the third Vicky. Yeah, but does Barnabas uh, have fangs all the time? Uh, no. Just when he's... Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. Because yeah. otherwise... Mm, yeah, it'd be pretty, pretty obvious, okay. wouldn't it? But no, yeah, he has to uh, slip them in. Yeah. That's why with his first appearance, he put them in upside down. So when he went to like show his fangs, they they did they just look like he <laughs> had a bad overbite. Yeah, also it'd be just <laughs> tough to talk with them. So. so anyway, that's in. Yeah. I'm trying to suck your blood. <laughs> what? I'm trying to suck your blood. Yeah, so he has to do with they do a thing usually. You want where... to fuck some mud? No. <laughs> Why would I want to fuck mud? I'm that's trying just to suck your blood. That's just silly. Okay. So yeah, so he um yeah, he yeah, so they do they do the kind of like um, thing where he they do a little bit of of uh, you know magic get you know dis- distract your attention away from him and he'll slip them in his mouth and then he'll uh, become a vampire vampire. So now um, Natalie, meanwhile Natalie resolves to avenge Josette's death and destroy Barnabas and then Barnabas and a dubious Ben go to the cemetery where Ben. Where Barnabas calls to Julia to bring him forward to the present, but nothing happens. Barnabas then realizes he takes Ben, so he realizes that he must, he needs to like go back to the future, go back to the present, right? As he traveled there the first time, so he has Barnabas takes 
uh, been to the secret um, to the secret room of the Collins family mausoleum, and there he instructs Ben to return in the morning and chain up the coffin. But unknown to Barnabas and Ben, they are observed by Natalie and Millicent, so they know where this coffin is and where Barnabas is hiding now. Okay. Um, so that morning, Josette's aunt Natalie and uh, has sprung Nathan from jail, and they arrive at the Collins family mausoleum with a stake and a mallet. Mm. So then, um, sorry, I just have to turn the, turn okay. the page. The stakes everyone. have been raised. The stakes have been raised. They open the coffin and prepare to drive the stake through Barnabas's heart. Okay. In fact, they kind of do. They do hit the stake, but that's the the the, the, the day closer, like the end of the episode. Okay. The next day, they bang it once, and then they are interrupted by Ben. Despite being shot at by Forbes, Ben is able to kill him. He then, almost by accident in this desperation, also kills Aunt Natalie. Mm-hmm. So this is really great. Barnabas travels back to the past to turn poor Ben into a murderer, because that didn't happen in the original time period, right? This is only in the, the course, the changing the course of history. is <laughs> Turn poor, poor Ben into a, mur- a double murderer. Meanwhile, back in the present, Julia and Willie... Willie's back. He hasn't been on the show for a while. Okay. There was an interview with John Carlin I, I, I saw somewhere, and he said that what was great about working on the show was that if he needed to like do something else, like if he had another job to do, like a play or whatever, they would just write him out of the show. And then when he was when he was available again, they just write him back in. Oh, so, that's good. Yeah, because the show was actually really faithful to its actors, whatever they do. Like, oh, that's really nice. Um, so Willie's there. So uh, they're arguing about Barnabas's returning. So Julia goes to the cemetery. Willie follows, and they discover that Peter and Vicky's gravestone gravestones have disappeared. So they realize the past past has changed. Uh, Barnabas finds Ben burying the bodies of, of Forbes and, and Natalie, and he inst- instructs Ben again to trap him in his coffin and chain it shut. In the present, Willie hits upon the idea of checking the coffin in the mausoleum. Because that's where he first discovered Barnabas. So he goes there, but after checking the coffin and finding it empty, he leaves. But moments after he leaves, chains appear around the coffin. Yeah. So now we know that Barnabas is inside it. Back at the house, uh, the crying ghost of Josette appears to Willie. And so Willie uh, begins to hear um, Barnabas's heartbeat like he did before. And so he knows that Barnabas is in the coffin. And then we cut to Barnabas inside the coffin calling for help, which is always very useful to do when you're stuck in a coffin. <laughs> help, help. So Julie and Willie go to the mausoleum and they open the coffin and find Barnabas inside. He is alive, but also he is no longer a vampire. Oh. The nation's children go, oh. Meanwhile. Did you think that the actor just uh, went like, I don't want to be a vampire for a while. It's a lot of work. Can I just be a person for a while? No, I think that they wanted to, I think they wanted to make the character more relatable. Okay. And so they had they had uh, they had him go back in t- they had the go back in time sequence yeah. to show how he became a vampire. So that's it's much more it's a much more um, sympathetic to Barnabas version than is told earlier in the show when he first appears. And then I think they then they had, then they staged the crash and had him cured by by the doctor Doctor Lang um, in order to make him more sympathetic in the present. So they wouldn't have to have this guy murdering people. And stuff, because then how do you make that a sympathetic character? They yeah. they were kind of stuck with that. The problem with it though is that once you do that, you kind of create. It's difficult to keep him as a protagonist because he's no longer an active force in the show. He becomes yeah. like the grandpa character who's like looking after the kids and stuff because Vicky's gone, you know. And that's that's no good. You don't want that Barnabas. That's a boring Barnabas. Uh, so now Carolyn is going to visit her mother's grave. Amy insists on coming, 
They arrive at the mausoleum just as Barnabas, Julia, and Willie are leaving. The three hide from Carolyn and Amy, but Amy sees the secret door sliding shut. So they go back into the secret room, and Amy sees the door closing. She and Carolyn and Amy investigate, but can't see anything. After Carolyn and Amy leave, the three let themselves out and depart. At Collinwood, David and Amy argue over Quentin. Carolyn walks in on David, hurting Amy, and grounds him to his room. The kids tell Barnabas they don't want to go to Boston. Poor Grandpa Barnabas. That night, Amy visits David in his room. He tells her that they are going to play the game, which is what they, which is what they call like the tricks they play. They're going to play the game with Carolyn. Maggie arrives, interrupting the two little weirdos. The kids lie to Maggie, and it's all very boring. <laughs> this is a very boring subplot. I just find it really just a, a dull time. But anyway, they agree to get dressed in some special clothes and meet later. Meanwhile, Carolyn and Chris. Now, Chris Jennings. Now, this is a fun. This is the werewolf subplot. This is a good subplot. Meanwhile, Carolyn and Chris have been on a dinner date. She offers him the use of an old cottage on the estate. Chris is standoffish, but Carolyn breaks down his reserve, and they kiss. The children have dressed in vintage clothes and gone to Quentin's room. Although Amy can't hear it, Quentin plays his familiar tune on the gramophone for David. The children spy on Carolyn and Chris, who have come inside Collinwood. Then they go, uh, they go back to Quentin's room, where the music is playing again. This time Amy can hear it. Because okay. before she couldn't hear it, but this time she can hear it. The spirits controlling them reveal themselves to be Beth and Quentin. So they kind of take over the kids' bodies and the kids talk to each other as if they are Beth and, oh, and right. Quentin. As Quentin and Beth, they discuss an unnamed, sorry, they discuss several unnamed people who, quote unquote, hate Quentin and a curse of some sort. As they speak, they are overheard by Mrs. Johnson, who confronts them. Maggie laughs off the children dressing up. So she goes back to Maggie and she complains about the fact that the children are weirdos and they're dressing up. And Maggie's like, well, I dressed up when I was a kid. It's, it's totally fine. <laughs> Mrs. J says she's scared of the children. Back in David's room, Amy denies being Beth, much to David's anger. And he makes threats about Mrs. J. So not only is he going to take care of Carolyn, but he's also going to take care of Mrs. Johnson. The next day, Mrs. Johnson returns from grocery shopping and learns to her horror that Chris Jennings is going to move into Matthew Morgan's cottage, which, according to her, is cursed. Carolyn has asked that Mrs. J prepare the cottage for Chris. With Maggie, the children lay the groundwork for Mrs. J being unstable and seeing things. So they're, like, getting something ready here. They ask to play hide-and-seek with Maggie. While she counts with her eyes uh, covered, they sneak out through the secret door. And Mrs. Johnson... Meanwhile, is cleaning and dusting Matthew Morgan's cottage with her son, Harry, which, by the way, is played by a different actor. Okay. And also, apparently, will never appear again. But oh, anyway. Okay. Weirdly. But on the show, uh, she, yeah, they're cleaning together. Okay. <laughs> and kind of turn the page here, everyone. Sure. Sorry. Get a little crinkly there. She sees, she sends Harry off on, a, on an errand, so she's by herself. And at that moment, the children arrive and lock the door of the cottage from the outside. So she's locked in the cottage. Why would they have a lock on the outside? That's you know, those old-fashioned locks. The yeah, right. Suddenly, to Mrs. J's alarm, Quentin Collins appears in the cottage and stands there. <laughs> That's all he does, he stands there. Sure. Mrs. J turns away. She's terrified, and she turns away to Terrible. try and... She turns away to, to rattle the doorknob. And when she turns back, the figure is gone. Meanwhile, Harry, who has returned to the house, 
is shanghaied by Maggie into helping find the children. She's been looking for them for 40 minutes. She has nothing better to do. Meanwhile, Quentin has reappeared, this time holding a candlestick. Mrs. J is terrified by the silent, glowering figure. It's a game of Clue. (laughs) Uh, Maggie and the children arrive. So Maggie has found the children. And they go go to rescue Mrs. J. And I don't know why they want... They insist on going there. And they get there and she's in a state. And they unlock the door. And and then they go back. And so being back at uh, Collinwood, uh, after getting mad at uh, her poor hapless son, Mrs. Johnson tells Maggie that she suspects the children. Because the ghost was wearing the same kind of old-fashioned clothing that the kids were wearing when they were doing their dress-up game. Okay. Amy comes in to visit her brother. They shop at Army and Gravy. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a name that's evocative of being haunted. Though. Grave. Yeah, yeah. But Gravy and Grave are two different things. There's more of Gravy than Grave about them. That's true. <laughs> Amy, so meanwhile, you know, Carolyn and Chris are still canoodling. So Amy comes in to visit her brother, and she has her second sight. Mm-hmm. She sees a pentagram on Carolyn's face, which means that she will be a uh, the next victim of the werewolf. That's true. And then Carolyn, there's a lot of shots of her looking at the mirror going, I don't see anything on my face. Chris quickly excuses himself uh, because he is the original poor time management werewolf. <laughs> I realize it's getting dark out and I need to get back. So he needs to go back to his cottage. Um, then we get some more boring kid stuff and Quentin's ghost, blah, blah, blah. They want to stop Carolyn from interfering uh, and Amy has to pretend that she's sick. At the cottage, Chris is anxious. He's walking around. He begins packing a suitcase. <laughs> going to leave town as a werewolf? Yeah. The werewolf is going to like... So his plan is he's going to pack the suitcase. He's getting on a greyhound. <laughs> a greyhound. Sure. Let's no, what? You, I gave you gravy. No, you did not. <laughs> no, you fought true. me every step of the way. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so then... So his plan is, I think, is he's going to like... Pack a suitcase, turn into werewolf. The werewolf will see the suitcase, pick it up, and leave town. Okay. It's going to awaken some sort of instinct with suitcases. So, um, back it's kind of intercutting between him and, and what's happening at Collinwood. The children establish Amy's sickness story. Um, Maggie buys it, hook line, you know, she take you know buys it, hook line, line and sinker. Carolyn is tricked into going to get Chris from the cottage. But she tries to call first because they do have phones, you know. Uh, but he is—he uh, pointedly ignores the phone. He's just too busy packing. Okay. The children plan goes awry though when Maggie goes to the cottage instead of Carolyn. They're like, "Well, we want Carolyn to go." A furtive Chris trying to beat the setting sun is interrupted by Maggie banging on the door. At first, uh, so she wants Chris to go to Collinwood to to see Amy because Amy's sick, and she says she's sick because she feels bad that Chris is is leaving. And so, because, uh, you know, that's Chris's excuse for everything. Oh, I'm leaving town. So then um, uh, at first he's like, no, I can't go. And then she's like, well, you have to go. Amy's sick and she wants to see you. It's like, okay, I will go. If, if you'll go, I'll go. So she leaves and then he continues packing. And uh, upon Maggie's return, Carolyn confides her doubts about Amy actually being ill. Because when the kids were told by Carolyn that Maggie had gone, they're like, What? You were supposed to go, and then they got all you know sad, and she's like, "This is really strange." So, uh, Carolyn then tells Maggie that she is going to her mother's uh, current resting place at the cottage. Chris turns into a werewolf, which is kind of funny because they don't have the cameras lined up quite right. Yeah. So the way they do it is they fade between Chris 
and the stunt actor who plays the werewolf. Sure. But this time, the stunt actor's face is a little lower than his, so they have to like <laughs> adjust the camera up to get the eyes to match. At the mausoleum, Carolyn uh, says a few words to her mother's coffin. In the coffin, Liz is talking to herself because she's not actually dead, as we know. She's stuck in this kind of, you know, I don't know what you call it, like a cursed death sleep right. or something. But she sensed... I've had that sometimes. You've had that as well? Yeah, cursed death sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And usually that's why you get up so early in the morning, because you're a cursed death sleep. Yeah, and then you got to take a, a cursed death whiz. <laughs> Liz senses that uh, Carolyn is in danger, but she can't break the sleeping death curse of Cassandra. So uh, now the werewolf is loose in the woods of Collinwood. At the house, Maggie has it has it out with the kids. She talks to them, you know, and basically the whole thing kind of comes down to... Um, Basically, they kind of undercut the, the whole Mrs. J. Quentin thing, implying that she was seeing things rather than there was actually a ghost there. Like, why are they going to all this trouble? Of a, like, why is Quentin, who we have learned is not super powerful and needs the kids to do stuff for him, why does he go to all the trouble of appearing to Mrs. Johnson as a ghost only to have the kids claim that Mrs. Johnson is just seeing things and it wasn't a ghost at all? Like, what is the purpose of these plans? I don't understand it, but anyway. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's a fair point. It's... It makes no sense. You got to write a letter to the past. I guess I'm going to have to go back. I have to go to the graveyard, call for Peter Bradford, and take me back to <laughs> 1969 or wherever we are now. Um, Carolyn returns and she is peeved that Chris never came. So she decides that she's going to go to the cottage to give Chris a piece of her mind. Uh, so David and Amy argue. Amy wanted to warn her about going to the cabin or going to the cottage. Sorry, but uh, but they don't. She doesn't because David wins the argument. Somehow Liz consents. Like I said, Liz consents that Carolyn is in danger, but she cannot move. So Carolyn arrives at the cottage, and it's, em- it's empty, but a mess. Because before the werewolf left, he, like, knocked a bunch of gugas down before he left. He knocked a lamp, a couple lamps on the floor, and, you know, broke some stuff. And then he left. Because, you know, he's a werewolf. He doesn't care. No Fs given, he said. <laughs> so then uh, she quickly leaves. Meanwhile, the werewolf is wandering through the woods. Uh, and so we get this kind of intercutting between the two. So we know that he's close to her, or that she's under threat from this werewolf. But Carolyn hears her mother's voice warning her to return to Collinwood. Carolyn hesitates at the door. And you're just like, go inside. And then you see like the werewolf's hand reached up in, a cam- in the camera, close up to the camera and pull a leaf down. So you know he's there. And uh, then Julie opens the front door and lets Carolyn inside. They have a strange recap conversation where Carolyn awkwardly holds a picture of her mother. And I think the reason they're doing this is that Liz has not been on the show for a while and like new people who've come to the show recently have no idea what she looks like or who she is. And so by having her contacting Carolyn, no one knows who this person is who's contacting mm. her. It could be anyone. So they have a conversation where she kind of holds the, the, the picture of her mom at this, and you know, it's the usual picture of a person they yeah. use in the show, which is your headshot. <laughs> yeah. So they have it you know, four different characters they can play. One's a doctor. <laughs> one's a sailor. That's right. <laughs> one's a clown. <laughs> they have that picture, and she's holding it at this angle so the camera can see it, so the audience knows what, you know, who, how how Joan Bennett looks, who plays uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth's daughter. Uh, and so they, but then they also talk about how that she died and blah blah blah, this and that. She then decides to return to the mausoleum. So she was safe in the werewolf. She was safe in her house, but nope, she's going to go back to the mausoleum after her mom told her to go to Collinwood. Uh, so she has followed through the woods by the, a noisy werewolf who's cracking things and rustling leaves the whole way. <laughs> like cracking jokes. Cracking jokes. That's right. 
<laughs> he says, wait, don't leave. Pretty hairy situation, huh? <laughs> oh, it's just me. Anyway. <laughs> I'm here to put a bite on the crime. Uh, he, but uh, what's fun is that when she, leaves the, when she leaves Collinwood, he like leaps from a really high, like tall height down in, behind her mm-hmm. and then starts following her. So you know that he's, know that he's there. And then when she gets to the mausoleum, he like jumps from a, a wall right in front of her or right behind her. And then she's all like scared. And then, but she manages to get inside the mausoleum and lock the door behind her. <laughs> but the werewolf can use tools. He picks up a rock and begins to smash the handle. Okay. So now she's in real big trouble. Meanwhile, in the coffin, Liz is willing her hand forward to push the button of the alarm that she had installed in her coffin. Remember her crazy plan that she was afraid of being buried. What just happened to her? She's afraid of being buried alive, not realizing that being buried alive, she'd be in like some sort of like death trance that she couldn't move. But so she's, so she had an alarm put in there so she could warn everyone that when she was buried alive. So she's trying to like will her hand. So she's, her fingers are moving a little bit and trying to edging towards this little alarm that's in the, inside the coffin. The werewolf manages to break into the mausoleum and he slashes Carolyn across her face. So she's bleeding from her face. And Liz, Liz then manages to sound the alarm alerting Barnabas and Julia that something's wrong. And so they leave Colin, uh, sorry, leave, yeah, Collinwood to go and get her. I was going to call it Cornwood. I don't know why I thought that was the name. It's not Cornwood, everyone, it's Collinwood. The werewolf is attacking Carolyn, though, but he is somehow repelled by her. Mm. So he can't, he's like, wants to kill her, but he can't. Barnabas and Julia arrive, and Barnabas beats the living tired of the werewolf with his cane, and the werewolf fle- flees the mausoleum. After everything calms down, um... After everything calmed down, er- Carolyn, uh, her, Carolyn's insistence, they check on Liz, and but she's still dead, which 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 is hilarious. Is Julia the way she? Because you know she's a doctor. Yeah. How how will a doctor check a pulse? Of course, reach in, feel the neck. Yeah. See if there's a pulse. No, stick her whole head into the coffin and put her her head on on Liz's chest, <laughs> like a doctor. Anyway, um, they return to Collinwood, and Julia's treating Carolyn's wound. And Barnabas realizes that Carolyn's silver bracelet and his silver-headed cane are what drove off the werewolf. And that must have been what protected them. Uh, but as, uh, then they start talking about, you know, having, you know, Liz, blah, blah, blah. She's dead, this and that. There's a noise from the foyer. They open the door to reveal Elizabeth Stoddard standing in the fo- fo- foyer of the house. So not only was she able to move her hand, she was eventually able to move herself entirely, get out of the coffin, and walk to... Collinwood, so she is alive. Uh, they immediately bring her into the sitting room where she tells them that she can remember everything that happened to her. She can remember that Cassandra cursed her after she caught her uh, smooching with Tony Peterson in the, in the, in the courtyard of, the, of Collinwood, and that she had the death curse put on her by Cassandra, and then she's afraid that Cassandra's going to return, and Barnabas is like, it's fine, don't worry about it. She's like, no, no, she, you never know where she is. He's like, I tell you right now, there's no chance she's going to return. She is long gone. Julia's like, yep, out of the picture, don't worry. And that's fine. And speak. And so then, um, because she's been in a coffin for the last month, they decide she should go to bed. So she's given a sedative and put to bed. <laughs> and uh, Carolyn, of course, is still worried about Chris, because there's a werewolf out there. And what happened to him? And so... Uh, She's going to go out and look for him. And then Barnabas says, well, I'll, I'll, you, you've you had enough fun with werewolves. I'm going to go out and, and I'll go out and look for him. So he he leaves. So he gets, he takes a, a shotgun and leaves uh, Collinwood and he's walking through the woods. And uh, as he's walking along, 
with his he's attacked by the werewolf. Ugh. So he succeeds in shooting the werewolf, but this werewolf immediately uh, gets up and springs at him, and of course leaps at the camera. And yeah. then we we cut from that. Uh, it's a classic move, by the way, the classic running sure. to the camera thing. So many camera people get killed that way. Back at Collinwood, Amy comes downstairs and force like really just insists like insists like that she's going to go to Chris because she has some sort of sense that he's in danger or whatever. And so she's afraid for her brother and she's going to go. And Julia's like, no, you can't go. And he goes, no, I'm going to go. And Julia's like, no, no, you can't go. And I no, I'm going. And then Julia goes, okay, I'll go. I'll go check it out. So Julia goes out instead and so she makes her way to Chris's cottage and she finds it empty and messy. And, but he's not there. And as she walks back through the woods, she passes the injured werewolf. So, what happened was in between, I forgot to break this down, but in between we cut back to Barnabas uh, beating the werewolf with his cane again and, and chasing him off. And so as she's walking past this boulder, there's an, a rock, there's an injured werewolf laying on it, kind of unconscious on top of this boulder. She doesn't see him. After she passes, it, it, it rolls off of the rock onto the ground, landing on its back. And then at Collinwood, Julia lies to amy basically she just says oh no i saw your brother chris he's he was fine everything was cool i kind of woke, i woke him up and he was fine and so but she secretly wonders where they are like she's wondering where chris and barnabas are because barnabas isn't back either so now it's morning and we see the werewolf revert back to chris so he's laying on the ground and he goes through his transformation and now he's chris who's unconscious a blonde woman in an old style dress comes upon him and she looks down and she kind of shakes her head like tisk tisk and then we cut from that back to Colin Wood, where Amy comes to Julia to ask about Carolyn, and she's disturbed to learn that Carolyn was injured during the night, uh, during the night's festivities, and she's so she's really concerned. Like she's like, and she says, "Well, I didn't mean for that to happen." And Julia's like, well, "What do you mean?" She goes, "Well, I mean, I didn't mean for her to. I didn't think she would get hurt going, you know." And and uh, and she does seem like really horrified at what's happened, and then suddenly she becomes cold and emotionless. And has to go play outside. And so she leaves. And Chris, meanwhile, has woken up and discovers that he's got this some blood on his on his shirt and he's got like a big tear in it where the shotgun blast went in. And so he returns to the cottage and he finds all the stuff on the floor. And so she, he quickly cleans up after themselves. And then um then uh, just in time for him to clean up, because Barnabas comes by for no real reason at all. Just pops in to let him know about Carolyn. I guess he came there to just let him know that it's Carolyn got like injured. A sitcom entrance where he's just like, "Hello, everybody!" Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they do. He doesn't knock on the door. He does not. Uh, meanwhile, Amy's walking through the woods, calling for Beth, mm. and then and singing the song, Beth. the kiss song. Yeah, the kiss song. Yeah, Peter Chris. Uh, how does it go? Do you remember? Hey there, Beth. Hi, good luck. Hey there, Beth. It's totally what right. you cooking? You're right. You know, like most kids songs. Yeah, yeah. Lick it up. Why don't you lick it up? What you licking? What she's cooking? What you cooking? Lick it up. <laughs> exactly. Detroit Rock City. It's where you can get some food. Eat it up. What you got cooking? <laughs> I forgot when Carol Channing joined Kiss. <laughs> When did I have corn? <laughs> That's right. Well, black diamonds are a girl's best friend. All right. So uh, the, uh, the beautiful blonde woman appears, but she doesn't speak because she's a ghost. Sure. But she, she does cry at 
when when um when Amy says Carolyn was injured and she goes, I didn't want that to happen. So did you want that to happen? And Beth shakes her head and she starts to cry. And then Amy asks, how can she protect everyone? And Beth points off screen. And then Amy goes, I know what you want me to do. I know. Taps her nose. No, she doesn't tap her nose. As, uh, she so, pointed at the craft services tape. That's right. Go, go get a sandwich? Back at... Back at uh, Twizzlers? <laughs> do you have Twizzlers at it? They got some loose candy. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. Oh, I'd love Usually that. Usually a bowl of M&M's, something like that. Awesome. Not anymore, obviously, but yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, as Julia and Barnabas back at uh, Collingwood discuss his shooting the quote-unquote animal, no one quite seems to have clued in the fact that this animal is walking around on two legs uh, and wearing a shirt and pants and shoes. Yeah, no, and, no one, and no one thinks Bigfoot. <laughs> well, this is, the, is Bigfoot on the East Coast as well? Okay. Uh, Chris arrives. He tells tells uh, Julia, I, put, I wrote Dr. Hoffman, like Julia, Dr. Hoffman is her dad, that he was asleep all night and she knows he's lying because she was there. Amy goes to Chris's cabin, or cottage, where she uh, takes his buddy's shirt and burns it in the fireplace. And Chris returns, but Amy cannot stay. She hears, she says, she hears Beth calling. And that's where we'll stop this episode of Dark Shadows. Sorry, that was kind of long, everyone. So, what was the, so what's the next episode? 602? No, we're in the 70s now. I can't remember. We passed 666. Oh, right. 666. Oh, we yeah. passed 666. Yeah, we passed right. 666. Fair enough. We're in the 70s now. Or somewhere, somewhere coming up to 70. All right. So uh, play along at home uh, with Tubi. It's free. It's free? What? Come on. What do you, what do you, they're not yeah. giving us any money. <laughs> We're just saying uh, play along with Tubi. It's free. You can watch that movie. You can watch uh, lots of bad uh, straight to video films on there too. So much stuff you can see. You, like... can also, you can also watch Constantine if you want. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, there's a movie on there that I want to watch called Short Eyes. Oh, do you mean the film Constantine? Yeah. Very good. Not the TV show. There was a TV show? I did not like the TV show, so I would not uh, be excited I liked a couple about of episodes of the TV show, then I didn't like it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's a movie on there that I saw called Short Eyes, which has a Curtis Mayfield soundtrack, and I've always wanted to see that film, so I need to watch it before it disappears. There we go. Because they do come and go on that channel. Check out Tubi, but don't check out yet, because I'm going to read some letters. Uh, <laughs> last week we asked, uh, we talked about some stuff. We talked about uh, uh, butt smacking on, uh, on volleyball in the Olympics. I saw some, uh, some people, uh, well, our friend Nina said... Uh, uh, I didn't see that. Uh, what are you talking about? And I went, uh, here's some examples. And so that that was the thing. Yeah. Uh, there was also um, uh, Dave talking about the movie Head, the monkeys film Head. Yeah. Uh, we also asked a couple of questions like, uh, what's the uh, most lost you've ever gotten? And uh, have you ever stumbled upon a great store? So let's go to uh, talking about Head. Jonathan <laughs> Bampton and Crystal both responded with similar things. Yeah. Jonathan uh, with uh, Mickey DeLenz. Uh, thing, uh, Crystal, Mike Nesmith, they both said generally. Uh, Delenz often jokes that they named the movie Head, so if they were allowed to make another movie, they could say from the producers that gave you Head. Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh, monkey shines. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nina, uh, uh, otherwise known as the Third Dragon, wrote <laughs> Ian, I didn't say the butt smacking thing didn't exist or that you were lying. I said, I didn't see it, so I, didn't, I don't know what you were talking about. Then you helpfully showed some examples. I think David is correct. It probably depends which countries are competing. And then she gives uh, a connection again to uh, the post that she made, uh, which, wherein she said, 
Uh, I'm catching up with, oh, yeah, okay. During Bob's visit, that's her husband, we saw some Olympics here at various bars, including a lot, uh, in uh, caps, of beach volleyball. I didn't see a single butt smack in there, so I have no idea what Ian is talking about. And uh, Nina and I have gone back and forth on this and talked amongst ourselves, and I was saying that uh, it didn't bother me and that I was kind of setting up a joke uh, about uh, her ass lighting me, as in the gaslighting, and there we go. <laughs> We're all having fun. And, uh, and she said that I sounded like I might have been actually annoyed, and I was like, ah, I wonder if I was actually annoyed. And so I was thinking on it, and here's what the conclusion I came to with her was, is that I have been gaslit in my family. And uh, I think a phrase that is maybe a trigger phrase for me is, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Because I don't think she meant it that way, though. Yeah. I think the way she meant it was, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Like, I'm not sure what you mean because yeah. I've not seen evidence of this. I understand. I understand that. It's just one of those tone things, tonal things that can happen with. Uh, whereas, like, uh, you know, my example in real life is, you know, some, some you know, uh, I was at a therapy session with my sisters and, uh, and uh, I was talking about uh, some abuse that happened with my dad. And then my sister said, you know, to the therapist, I, I don't know what he's talking about. Hmm. And it was like, what? Because I know she was there during a lot of this stuff. And so that's that's something that's really deep in me is that. And there's a couple other examples of that in my family. So it is possible that that phrase written down was a little bit of like, mm, you know, I and uh, but that has been clarified. Yeah, it has been smoothed over. <laughs> Everything is fine. fine. Nina has come over to the to the house. Uh, you guys had you guys arm wrestled about this. Uh, we ate food. Oh, uh, that's we better. Ate corn ribs. Uh, I think things worked out fine. Corn ribs. Yeah. Have you had corn ribs? No. Quite good. You split a, a cob of corn yeah. in half okay. and in quarters, and then make them into basically rib shapes, and then. There's many ways of cooking them. You huh? can uh, deep fry them. You yeah. can air fry them. You can bake them. But you eat them then like ribs uh, huh? after you've spiced them up. Yeah, yeah. They're very good. Nice. Uh, Louise, who has also come over to my house in the past, uh, writes, last winter... And the I future. Got, yeah, and true. Uh, but I can't, I can't say that for sure. Uh, last winter, I got lost on my way uh, back home from Christmas shopping at the Walmart in Richmond. Huh? I took a wrong Ooh, turn. Richmond. Mm. And ended up on a main street that I didn't know would come to a dead end rather than a pass under the Highway 99. I was killed. Oh, wow. That's a dark story from Louise. Whoa. I okay, guess she won't be coming over in the Chris future. Robert, uh, and that's from a ghost. <laughs> no, wait, no. Uh, under the Highway 99, my uh, pandemic stress brain tricked me into thinking I could uh, intuit uh, uh, my way back to Vancouver. I've only seen that as part of intuition. Intuit? Is that the right? Yeah, sure. All right, good. Into uh, it, yeah. but I got twisted around in one of those labyrinth. Uh, why are you making me read all these words, Louise? Residential areas Labyrinthine. that you uh, can't see uh, the North Shore Mountains from, which is how we know where we are. It spat me out onto a main artery that I didn't realize was going south instead of north until the townhouses and condos had given way to bogs and blueberry farms. Ooh, the bog and blueberry district. It would have been logical to check for directions much earlier, but often when you're driving, you don't know you're lost until you're really lost. <laughs> also, the Nelson area of BC has a lot of artisans and craftspeople. While vacationing there, I visited a cluster of workshops in the tiny village of Crawford Bay. <laughs> they included the North Woven Broom Company that makes old-fashioned whisks 
and witchy-looking brooms, barefoot hand-weaving the Kootenai forge, the fireworks copper enameling, which makes beautiful jewelry. Even if you can't afford to buy anything of these places, it's cool to stop in, see all the traditionally handcrafted items, and maybe catch the artists at work and go, boo, which is what people doing glass blowing always like to be surprised. Uh, I just want to say two things. One, I... I completely sympathize with Louise because Richmond, you know, I can drive comfortably around every part of the lower mainland. Okay. I can drive comfortably. I can find my way around Burnaby. I can find my way around Coquitlam. I can find my way around Vancouver. I get lost every time I go into Richmond. I just have no, I don't know what it is. I just have no sense of landmark there or where I'm going. I can find my way to Steveston, but that's just because you come off the freeway and you just follow the a road and it gets you there. You can't, you can't, you can't miss it. But every other I just I, I just find it a mysterious place to me. I don't know what it is. And also, um, there's a place. There was a place in Granville Island that um, did those kind of like uh, witch like brooms. Yeah, there's still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, go on. All right. My wife is saying she's hungry. Okay, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get through this and we're gonna go eat. Yeah. Uh, Chris Roberts writes. Oh, by the way, let me just say, uh, and if you go to Nelson, at least this is what it was like the last times I was there. Louise's brother, Lyle, was worshipped as a god there. <laughs> is he, that right? He did some theater there, and uh, they loved him. Wow. There's a statue of him to the middle of town? Well, there was a tree, so that's kind of similar. Sure. If you've seen Lyle and you see a tree, you'll go yeah. like, similar, right? Yeah. Sure. yeah. Sure. I mean, strong and woody. Yeah. Um, Chris Roberts writes, is that insulting? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, one day in high school, when I was 15 or so, our gym class got taken to some hills behind my hometown where we were introduced to the skill of orienteering. Hmm. Uh, each student was provided a map, a, a compass, and a set of instructions to find our way to a set destination. In a cold, dr- gray drizzle, this quickly proved less thrilling to my teen self. So I decided to jack it. In and uh, head home instead. Okay, that I almost said that in the wrong way. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, uh, my friends, uh, not only did I fail to reach the place I was supposed to go to, but when I eventually found my way off the hillside and back into town, I realized I had no idea where the hell I was. After walking aimlessly for a while, I began to recognize landmarks and realized... I'd somehow drifted off course dramatically and was at least two miles from home. <laughs> and this, I repeat, was in my hometown. I'd lived there all my life and I was carrying a map and a compass. When you asked about a great store, I immediately thought of Groucho's used record shop in Dundee. Sadly, it closed last year, but for generations of Dundonians, <laughs> Groucho's was an institution. In the pre-internet days of the last century, it was one of the few places I knew where you could discover recordings that were offbeat rare, sometimes not completely legal, often along with concert tickets, Freak Brothers comics, and possibly some other items I was too naive to know about at the time. They were bongs. Uh, Two (laughs) memories. One is of browsing through the racks of UCDs and finding an album entitled The Lost Jewish Music of Transylvania. I remember thinking, I have no idea what this will sound like, but I have to hear it. And the record turned out to be a collection from the Hungarian band uh, Muziskas and was a complete delight that became a soundtrack to many happy times playing with my children and also loved it. I like the Muziskas early work, but, you know, up to you. And naturally, it's now on YouTube if anyone wants to check it out. Link! Uh, my second memory is the smell of the store. Much as I love going into Groucho's, it had an undeniably pungent locker room aroma that had to be overcome with some combination of warm male bodies, rain-soaked clothes, and poor ventilation. Huh. Oh, 
Uh, I, that just reminds me of comedy clubs. Around <laughs> the early 1990s, the shop moved premises, a change that was literally a breath of fresh air for about three days. And sure enough, by the end of the first week, the smell had traveled all the way from the old place. And as far as I know, never left. Ah, uh, memories. <laughs> I guess the records must have been impregnated by the smell of the store. So. And we get uh, Edward Dragansky going, thanks for sharing, to Chris. And then Edward picks up the baton like it was an Olympic event and says, in my late teens, I was the one with, uh, I was one with my bike. Uh, I just got a bike, Edward. Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, if I had no plans on the weekend, I get the rural, I, I take to the rural roads of the then underdeveloped landscape of Mesquite and purposely get myself lost. I was an extraordinary cyclist then and I could roam all day discovering new places on the outskirts of town. I'd go for an hour without seeing a car, sometimes find myself at a lake, a giant junkyard with a sign that said, Savage, yes, Savage, uh, or on one such journey, and a small airport I didn't know existed. It was fun. That was for drugs, Edward, by the way, that airport. Don't go there. It was fun to take a break and watch the planes take off and land. It was drugs. I never got lost as long as I could see the sun and know by its place above which uh, way to go back home in time for dinner. If I ever got lost during those rides, I only had myself to blame. Many years later, my brother and I drove from Dallas to Chicago with a stay over in St. Louis. We took a wrong turn at some exit in the middle of downtown St. Louis and ended up in East St. Louis, Illinois, which is across the Mississippi River. It was getting dark, and if you've never heard about East St. Louis, it's like going into Gotham City when you were meant to go to Metropolis. <laughs> so you get killed by a clown instead of a giant robot. Gotcha. Uh, there were scary types everywhere, and we had to get out and make a call on the payphone for directions to the hotel. My brother was being a pseudo-tough guy that he thinks he is, reached into a glove box and pulled out a cheap switchblade knife for his protection. I laughed at this and made the call as fast as I could before my brother got us both shot to death. <laughs> Bonfire of the Vanities had just been released, and all I could think of was the scene where Tom Hanks takes a wrong turn into a bad neighborhood. We carefully went uh, back all the way in and then found our way back into Missouri and safely reached the hotel. Switchblade and all. <laughs> there was a flea market called Vicon Can Village. I say that was a real East St. Louis toodaloo. It's a Duke Ellington song. Very nice. Uh, there was a flea market called Vicon Village in the neighboring town of Garland that my best friend and I used to visit most weekends. Vicon had tons of vendors selling anything from albums. Uh, to comics, to collectibles in an old uh, building. You get fake ID there, bootleg albums, and really great comics if you knew a guy in the back where the comics were cataloged, which we did. <laughs> we never understood how some of these vendors were never busted for selling all these things. The place seemed untouched by any outside environment. One time we were there, we realized this was just another building that wasn't connected to uh, Vicon. There was a building that wasn't connected uh, across the parking lot, so we checked it out. We stumbled upon some guy who had a huge room full of bootleg printed movie posters of every size uh, from an almost endless list of films. <laughs> and they were printed on thick cardstock, uh, so rigid that the posters couldn't be rolled. They were all flat and huge stacks on pallets, some as big as three foot by five foot, and printed as if they were new, which they were. Being that these weren't originals, they were incredibly cheap, like buy two, get one free cheap. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean they're cheap. <laughs> Uh, so my friend and I started to look through them, uh, sliding them one over at a time to another palette. I found a Superman the Movie, Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars re-release, Hard Day's Night. All huge 3x5 foot in size, big enough to cover a wall. 
Since we rode our bikes to Vicon, we asked the vendor to hold these so we could come back with a card later to get them. We had so many posters in mind that we were going to get later when we had more money, that, uh, but that came to a standstill. The next time we visited the vendor and his posters, they were gone, mm -hmm. as he had never been there at all, as if they, mm -hmm, yeah. Nobody <laughs> could tell us uh, where he went or why he left. I know the airport he took. Uh, it just vanished. I guess it's possible the place wasn't as untouchable by the law as we thought, which was our first guess as to why he left. I guess the posters pressed between large pieces of cardboard tucked away. I still have the posters. Uh, press uh, between large pieces of cardboard tucked away in a crawl space under my stairs. Maybe someday I'll splurge uh, to get at least one of them framed with the help of a small crane to hang them on my wall. <laughs> one more letter. Uh, we go, go to our uh, hungry friends upstairs. Crystal. Hello, Crystal. That's Hi what, again. That's what you think. Uh, says, Hi, guys. Hi, Crystal. Hello. I'm more than a little remiss in commenting. It seems there is another colder flu spreading through the South as heartily as the Delta variant is. Oh, dear. I'm sorry to hear that. I've had two different COVID tests come back negative. Keep it coming. Uh, <laughs> but ill, uh, we all have been and still are. Sorry about that. COVID yeah. is raging here again, so be safe, everyone. Agreed. Everyone, please be safe. Uh, I was traveling with a colleague to a training seminar once when a wrong turn on my part found herself off a beaten path. The woman riding with me was extremely calm about the situation and told me, whenever you get lost, delayed, or waylaid, you will discover something wonderful or interesting that you otherwise wouldn't have found. <laughs> Within five minutes of her saying this, we came up across a life-size concrete elephant painted pink with multicolored paisleys uh, that, uh, that, that was placed along the side of the road to draw attention to a business. Quite a sight to see. <laughs> Fifteen minutes later, we discovered uh, that the road we were on looped back right where we needed to be. I try to remember the experience whenever I get lost or turn around while traveling. Like David, that's you, David. <laughs> that's me. I also enjoy, enjoy traveling down roads just to see where they may lead. You learn a lot of shortcuts that way. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I'd like to backtrack to a few episodes ago. Okay, we're going to have to get into the Wayback Machine, but we'll do it. And now we're back. Uh, we have a pear-shaped apple tree in our backyard. I don't know if that is the correct name for it, uh, but it's a hybrid, oh, pear apple tree in our backyard, not a pear-shaped apple tree. That would be, that'd be wrong. But it's a hybrid that my uh, husband's uncle planted, and that is what I've heard it called. It looks like a pear, but tastes like a cross between a pear and an apple. Huh. Oh, and it doesn't have that traditional gritty texture that a pear has. So it's quite nice to slice up. And depends, on the, depends on the, the type of pear. Bartlett's don't have a gritty texture, but Bosk's do, yeah. All right, well, you know. Dave's a bit of a pear apologist. <laughs> or used in pear salads mixed with lettuce, mayo, shredded cheddar, pears, and maraschino cherries. That sounds very 50s. I feel like you're going like, to <laughs> yeah, like, have some oops, salmon jello over two hours. Uh, having um, having uh, yeah, maraschino cherries in it, that sounds, that's the odd part of that one. Uh, I have never... I, I like maraschino cherries. I'll, I'll go for that. Well, me too, but I just, it's, it is... Does feel kind of old-fashioned. Well, I'll tell you, Crystal had never heard of that kind of type of salad until she got married. Uh, it looks a little off-putting to me, but it actually tastes nice. Yeah, that's the thing. You you have that talk on your wedding night, and, and your parents tell you about special salads that only <laughs> married people can have. I also need to keep my word to Ian and share my recipe for veggie meatloaf. Feel free to not uh, have to read the re recipe out loud. But it's placed here on the message board if any sneakers want to try it. And we have the recipe below. And you can check that out, sneakydragon.com, for episode 
507. That is very, very nice. Thank you so much, Crystal. And I will definitely try that out. Now, David. I have a couple of emails to read. Please read those emails, sir. One is due to my own negligence. We missed a couple shows ago. So I'm going to read that one first. This is from Jonathan Bampton, who we've heard from earlier. Jonathan Bampton, as we know, two-time winner, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, fix, fix, fix. (laughs) He says, Dear David, quote, turn me on dead man, Dedrick, and Ian, quote, always give the double truth Ruth Boothby. Congratulations on making it to the 500th. Sorry, I have to take off my glasses to read. This is a sad thing. Sure, sure. Congratulations on making it to the 500s. So many great memories. So many times I've split my sides listening to you both. Plus, we always come away learning something. Thank you to all sneakers for your contributions. We all love hearing from each other. Hopefully, another 500 to come. You can tell how old this is. (laughs) But anyway, it's fine. We'll stretch it out, everyone. My subconscious was probably ticking over time at your recent milestone, as I had a dream last week that both David's brothers tried to get into the podcast game. Oh! I know dreams are often boring and no different from making up lame stories, but I can't resist now giving you the broad outline. Okay. The brother, who nearly went stabby-stabby with Dave some Christmases ago, started a podcast with Justin Bieber. This is this sounds more plausible than you would think. Justin was insistent upon stunts to gain attention. One involved your brother running naked from the Gastown steam clock to wherever he lives. He was asked to be on some West Coast morning show and became a minor celebrity. Okay. The other brother had a podcast where he would review Shakespeare's sonnets. <laughs> this would be my brother who works as a car mechanic. So sort of like gentlemen of elegant leisure, except they didn't eat the books. <laughs> Dave was a frequent guest on this one, much to the chagrin of the other brother. There ended the dream. Questions for Ian. Do you think Tintin would prefer you or Dave as a friend? Dave. (laughs) Two, have you guys ever received something anonymously that to this day still remains a mystery? People normally uh, sign their names. So uh, do you mean like just in life? Maybe in life. Let's say in life. Uh, Hmm. That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't think I ever have. I feel bad. I feel like that would be an interesting thing. To give a good answer to if it had happened, but for the most part, people sign their names when it comes to you know mails or uh, mail or delivery. Did someone ever put something in my mailbox just randomly? Uh, a cheeseburger once. Someone put a cheeseburger in my mailbox. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mine are two frustrating uh, things. I received uh, love notes mm. from two different people. Uh-huh. Uh, that were totally anonymous and never revealed who they were. And so I've spent the rest of my life mulling over who this possibly could have been. One was in grade six. I came back to my my desk and there was a note on there telling me that this person thought I was whatever, thought I was good looking or whatever. And they wanted to meet me. And that was that. And then another time I was, when I was selling encyclopedias, I was in, I had left Alberta and was in British Columbia up in the north in Dawson Creek. And I was at a library, and I left the table to go to the bathroom. And I came back, and someone had put a note on my, my book telling me they thought I was very cute. Oh. And so I've always wondered, who would have the gall to fucking do that? No, I'm just kidding. Who would do that? Um, now, uh, Jonathan goes on to say, I once had some Burger King takeaway arrive on my doorstep after a house party I had in my 20s. During the night before, I'd offhanded said I sure needed something greasy the following morning, and lo and behold, someone was paying attention. 
I never found out who did the niceness. But that is nice. Oh, maybe they included the burger for me as well that, uh, that time. <laughs> That's right. You also received their largesse. Very nice. All right. And our other email. So thank you for that, Jonathan, by the way. I appreciate all emails because I get to read them. Brent Tannehill writes to say, Comedy that hasn't aged well. Almost all comedy, especially bad or the old comedy radio shows. Comedy that has aged well. Silent comedy movies, especially Harold Lloyd and Buster Keaton movies. But not Charlie Chaplin, hey? Hmm. Too sentimental, maybe? Ever gotten lost? Hates the tramps. What's this, right? Hates tramps. Hates tramps. Ever gotten lost? Not really lost, but seriously turned around. I've always lived and worked in mountainous places, so it really helps to have that terrain for reference. Also, I unconsciously use the sun for reference point, I've noticed, because on cloudy days, I get more turned around. I worked for a while in New York City, climbing trees to look for Asian longhorned beetles. An invasive species, I assume, Brent. If it was a rainy day, we didn't climb, and I could explore the city. Having no sun or mountains to guide me, I was always getting turned around, and would have to ask a stranger, which way is north? To which they would answer, are you trying to go uptown or downtown? (laughs) Great store I've stumbled upon, the 24-hour Church of Elvis. I found it by chance once when I was in downtown Portland. They had, a vending, they had vending machines on the outside where you could buy art for a quarter. Also, you could get married there. Here's a link. That was from Brent. Thank you, oh, Brent. nice one. That's funny. I, I don't get lost very often, and that's why I find it really confusing that I, I get lost in, in um, Richmond. Because I, but I drive by a landmark. Yeah. And once I've gone somewhere, I can always find my way back to it. Mary was commenting that a little while ago that she always found it amazing when I was a, when they were kids if they would I would uh, always be able to take them to their friends' places no matter how complicated it was to get there. I could always drive back again. They would never need directions. I didn't oh. you know I didn't have like a GPS of those days. So I drove by the light of my strange brain because yeah I just drive by and so I get I do get a little bit confused sometimes when there are major changes to to, mm-hmm. to like the landscaping of an area or they cut down a bunch of trees to to build or whatever then I'm kind of like no wonder I don't like change I kind of uh, I get a little bit confused I can usually you know there's other landmarks around that are familiar though they don't tear everything down but but yeah there we go all right Ian all questions right. for this week okay so question for this week uh, we're talking a bit about uh, Ralph Bakshi I'm gonna ask uh, what is your favorite animated film that is not a Disney movie. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I'm going to ask a question then. Okay. Which is, uh, tell us a favorite mystery of yours. A uh, fictional mystery. Fictional mystery. So I don't care if it's a movie or a book. Whatever Very you good. Want to fictional us. mystery. And uh, your favorite uh, non-Disney uh, animated film. Here's how you do it. Go to SinkyDragon.com. That's where every one of our episodes is. And underneath every episode is a space for messages. You can email us, SneakyD at SneakyDragon.com. You can go to Twitter. Uh, sneaky underscore dragon. Uh, that's our handle. That's what we are. And also sneaky dragon dot tumblr dot com. There you go. Our OnlyFans is uh, is non-existent. Uh, <laughs> we thought they were going to like not allow us to do nudity, so we decided not to do it. Yeah. And now they will allow us to do hardcore nudity. So we we got to do some. Well, oh, they've gone, they've gone back to. They're allowing. Yeah, they're allowing it. So uh, Dave's going back to the gym. I'm going to swim a little more. Yeah. And then we'll talk about opening. We'll talk that about up it. Again. We'll talk about opening that. Up. But uh, thank you so much for listening. I've got very hungry relatives upstairs <laughs> that we've got to get to. Uh, but we appreciate your kind attention so very much. I've been Ian. I've been hungry. And uh, we've been uh, hungry, hungry hippos.
Salt Peppers, the classic play by Tennessee Williams. Cat and a hot tin pepper. The glass pepperage. <laughs> glass Dr. Pepper. Classic play. That was a weird, brief craze, though, isn't it? The southern, the hothouse southern drama, you know, baby doll. Mm. A lot of sweaty, kind of beefy guys like Burl Ives and Carl Malden. Baby doll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, and wife beaters or... As I, as I learned to call them tank tops, I still call them that. Yeah, yeah, that, that changed a long ago. They, we're watching <laughs> Reminiscence, which is... Oh, my yeah, condolences. Maybe, my I should condolences. Talk, maybe I should talk Yeah, don't put it in the show, I think, is one yeah, Okay, fair enough. All right. Let's reminisce about that movie you watched. Yeah. Do the, uh, the Snake Eyes War.